0: Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina Tuesday morning, November 21, 843 661 is our number. Good morning, Josh. Morning. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. So, Josh, this is not Thanksgiving week. It's not? No. Oh. This is Rivalry Week. That's right. Thanksgiving is very secondary to the football game um, that has been to be played, not on Big Thursday. Last time we played Big Thursday was what year, Josh? uh
1: 1846. Oh, <laughs> find somebody today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <In>
0: 1959. <laughs> we had a trivia question yeah, yesterday, Josh. Um, and someone correctly answered 1959. I do want to say this, that there are memes on Twitter and Facebook about the rivalry. And I saw a few yesterday that said, the most hated rivalry in college football. Now, I mean, I, I may be picking this apart to the extreme. I don't want it to be that. I mean, I really and truly don't. Number one, I think in one of these rankings I saw was Alabama-Auburn. I mean, the most hated rivalry in all of college football. Number two uh, was Ohio State-Michigan. Number three, South Carolina-Clemson. Um, I, I just think hate's the wrong word. Intense, you know, loyal and devoted fan bases, um, you know, small state two big universities. Um, I just I'd be careful with the word hate. I just don't like to be associated with uh, the word hate. My my youngest son one day just off the cuff, uh, maybe eight nine years old, said something about you know I hate such and such. I said ah that's not getting into hate. I mean let's stay away from hate as much as we as we possibly can. So one of the most intense rivalries in all of college football uh, is to be played Saturday at seven thirty. In the industrial wasteland, (laughs) known as williams (laughs) Bryce. In the dark industrial wasteland, known as williams Bryce. I was thinking about this yesterday. And I guess, having gone for so many years, I mean, I know kind of exactly where I'm going. I know exactly where not to go. But it gets dark at 530. And if you're a bit out of sorts, I mean, if you've not been there a lot, you don't know your way around uh, that area, there are a lot of buildings and businesses and warehouses um, and somebody parks you in an alley, and, you know, charges you 60 bucks to park, but they park you there. And, um, you talk about inflation. Wow. Um, I turned around, I got a parking spot that we tailgated, you know, rev came. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, and I, I, I let my son drive his truck cause we learned all the crap and we had so much crap, uh, to tailgate. And I parked at a, a place that normally charges 20 bucks and it was 60 bucks. Oh yeah. I've noticed that. Wow. 60 bucks to walk. You know, eighteen miles to get to the uh, <laughs> right. to the upside down cockroach. And it does look like an upside down cockroach. It really and truly does. Um eight four three six six one oh nine three seven. Today is the last day uh of the week that we'll concentrate on politics, football in store tomorrow. We honestly don't know who all's coming. We got some invitations to Gamecock and Tiger, uh is, is it pundits? I mean, would that be the right word, Rev? Sure. Uh, commentators, commentators yeah, commentators, sure. and whatnot, uh, Phil Kornblut from formerly, what's it called now? It's not the South Carolina Network. Yeah, it's the Sports Talk Media Network. Sports Talk Media Network will be with us. Um, Jason Priester will be with us. The Bad Boy will be co-hosting along with yours truly uh, as we simulcast the Press Box with Wake Up Carolina. Don't we call it the Wake Up Press Box? or Wake Up Press, press Box. it. Yeah, wake, wake Up Press Box is kind of what we call it. Um, I did bump into two people yesterday at the gym, and they said, uh, what time does it start? I said, 6.05. I might not get there that early, but I'll get there um, <laughs> in a couple. Of, we, we'd love to have you there, and I mean that sincerely. Come by and see what it looks like behind the scenes with a bunch of know-everythings. Get around a table to start talking about um, college football. We, I think it'll be fairly well even. I mean, you got one. You got Jason. I think Thomas will be there. Uh, you got uh, Bob Schuster will be there. That's three. And then you got me on the Gamecock side. That's fair. I mean, you know, But <laughs> I mean, if fun, it were yeah. four, I'd be a little bit concerned. Right. But three, um, three against one, and I'd be the one. I mean, that's you've heard me go at it, uh, Josh. You would agree. I can hold my own against three feeble Tiger fans, right? Okay. Yeah. I fair, think enough. So. fair enough. Fair enough. Fair um,
2: enough. After that first comment, you better just say yes. Uh, bad bad boy.
0: Bad boy will be the neutral arbiter. You know, uh, he'll try to uh, get get in a uh, kind of an NC State gig. Or an NC State guy yeah, dig. They're having a good year. NC, NC State beat the uh, the Tigers this year, so they're having um a better year than I guess they expected um, to have. There's a little bit of added drama. I mean, the Tigers can stop the Gamecocks from becoming bowl eligible. Um, the Gamecocks can win and beat their rivalry and kind of um redeem themselves in somewhat of a lackluster season. I was thinking about it this morning, driving over. It's been a disappointing season. But the Florida game's the only one they got away from you. I mean, it really and truly is. But they had Florida beat and, you know, just kind of laid the egg at the last of the game. And Florida came back and won that game. Um, Or you'd have one team. What is Clemson's record? Six and four? uh, Seven and four? Uh, Seven Seven and four. four. Seven and four. And the Gamecocks are five and six. So the Gamecocks win that Florida game. They're six and five. But if Bullfrogs carry 38, there wouldn't be any (laughs) alligators in the swamp. So uh, anyway, we'll get back to politics tomorrow from six until 10. Uh, we'll be at Rivals of Store Divided talking about the um, not one of the most hated rivalries in all of college football, but one of the most intensely uh, competitive. And I don't know how competitive it's been. This is interesting to me. You ready? And I promise I'll, I'll shut up after this. Debo Sweeney's been the greatest coach in Clemson history. I mean, without question, two national championships, um, a multitude of ACC championships. You know what his record is against South Carolina if the Gamecocks figure out a way to win Saturday? Hmm. Eight and seven. Okay. Hmm. Eight and seven. I mean, we had COVID there, and, yeah. and Clemson was on a rail when COVID hit, so the Gamecocks probably caught a break there. But I was just thinking about it. Um, the best coach on the best run in Clemson football history, and if the Gamecocks can figure out a way to win in in, the, in a 15-year span, it's eight and seven. And Once again, COVID kind of broke the Gamecocks' way by not having to play that game when Clemson was clearly – Clearly the better team. Um, Just you're always looking for nuggets. I mean, you're always looking for a, uh, I'm a spinmeister, having been in politics, so you find a data point that kind of makes your side look a little better uh, than the other. But anyway, it'll be a lot of fun. We'd love to have you join us. Rivals are store divided. We'll be there from 6 to 10. Bring your checkbook, your debit card, your credit card, or your do ray me, because anything you can imagine with a Gamecock or Tiger on, Will Webster will have at Rivals. A store and provided. I think there'll
2: be some specials, some discounts offered during the live broadcast tomorrow.
0: And I'm still working with the Trump campaign to see if we can clear the parking lot <laughs> and him land his helicopter uh, on top of the building, or at least in the uh, in right. the parking lot. So right. we'll see. We'll see how that goes. And NBC News did confirm yesterday that presidential candidate Donald Trump will be in South Carolina for the uh, for the rivalry game between uh, the Clemson Tigers and South Carolina game. Because it's kind of an added feature. Um, I would be careful cutting it close on time. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be real careful about waiting until the last minute to make your way uh to Williams Bryce for fear of some traffic interruption and try to get, you know, President Trump. I have no idea. I think at Iowa, uh, the Iowa, Iowa State game, he tailgated a bit. I mean he walked around some of the tailgating lots and yeah. flipped a burger or two or three. Um, I don't think he drank a beer or drink because he's a teetotaler. Uh, When it comes to uh, alcoholic beverages, speaking of Trump, um, we talked a lot yesterday about the polling and what to discern within uh, some of the polling. You got to give Biden credit. Biden did something yesterday that has never been done by an American president. And I want to give credit where credit is due. I mean, I want to be fair minded. I try to be fair minded and 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 think of our, our callers who disagree with my worldview and they're supportive of Biden. They believe he's a much better choice than Donald Trump, he's to be commended. I mean, anybody's to be commended when they do something that has never been done uh, before. Okay. Biden's age is twice his approval rating. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a feat. Nobody in the history of the American presidency has ever, their age doubled up (laughs) their approval ratings. His approval ratings are 39.5%. I have seen them as high as 41 in this DNC paid for poll, I mean, when the DNC pays for a poll, and your approvals come out at 41, <laughs> you got trouble. Uh, so anyway, his, his approvals are somewhere between 39 and a half, 40 and a half. He's 81 years old, so he gets the um, I mean, he gets the award for the only president that has ever lived long enough to find his age twice <laughs> uh, his approval ratings. Uh, and and I want to dig into some of the minutia of the poll. I went back and read some of the Michigan poll, um, it's 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 African-Americans. I mean, if, if the poll's believable, it's African-Americans. Now, I, I heard some uh, Democrats yesterday afternoon on some of the national media said, you can't believe that. There's no way Democrats, 26% of Democrats are going to vote for uh, Donald Trump. I don't know. I mean, I don't have any idea. I think I said in 2020, I'd be careful trusting that number. Remember, we had some of the pollsters. I think Robert it said on the show, that some of the African-American polling was 19%. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't buy that. I just don't buy that. You don't break that vice or that geo Jill with the kung fu grip on, uh, you know, that, that I guess holy alliance or unholy alliance, depending on what side of the aisle you sit on, that the Democrats have had over uh, the African-American vote. But they are beginning to consider. They are beginning to consider not, not mostly Republican Trev, but Trump. I mean, that's the oddity in this. When you look at some of the other statewide elections, it doesn't carry over. I mean, it's not African-Americans voting for Republicans. It's African-Americans voting for Donald Trump. And it kind of solidifies some of my stance that the concern or the mistake that a lot of Republicans will make, and I'm talking about the Drew McKissicks of the world, those who run parties and are responsible for turning out voters and identifying where their best supporters are and how do you get them to the poll? The, the the great mistake, and you've already seen it happen, is believing that Trump voters are Republican voters. I mean, the Trump voter is a Trump voter is a is a Trump voter, and I want to kind of go over some of this this morning as we conclude our pre-Thanksgiving um, political show. But when you when you think about, I, I want to use G as an example, and I know we got to take a break, Josh, and we will in about two or three minutes. And I now don't, I don't want to get midways through this and have to come back and uh and kind of finish. But I read something last night about the 400 business leaders that met with um, uh, Xi Jinping, and in the article it mentioned in 1959, uh, Khrushchev came to America and wanted to meet with Walt Disney, and Disney refused and said, I don't meet with enemies of the United States. I don't meet with people who don't have my nation's best interests at heart. Uh, as Bob Dylan famously said, "My the times have changed." Because mm. 400 American business leaders paid somewhere in the neighborhood—I think the lowest price was two grand a plate. Most paid about twenty grand a plate to attend a summit, you know, a um, a meeting with Xi Jinping, uh, Xi Jinping about the uh, the Chinese economy. The PCO of Boeing was there. BlackRock, Vanguard, uh, Apple. I'm trying to think of some of the other noted names. I mean, these are high flyers. These are corner office, you know, uh, presidents or, excuse me, um, CEOs of major American corporations. you got to believe that some of the military industrial complex would have been included in that. But, I mean, think about 1959. Khrushchev comes to America, asked to meet with Walt Disney. Disney refuses because he feels it kind of insults his patriotism to meet with a guy who wants America to meet its demise. Well, I mean, you know, juxtapose that to today or yesterday or the day before when 400 of our prominent business leaders gave him a standing ovation. I mean, you know, when, when, uh, when Xi Jinping wow. walked in the room, 400 of our business leaders gave him a standing ovation. Of course. The media didn't want that circulated, but someone in the room, a little bit like Romney, remember the statement, a comment Romney made that kind of doomed his presidency? We always thought he was a little bit plastic and out of touch, and he said that thing and uh, with a bunch of rich folks at Nantucket or Martha's Vineyards or one, one of those places the Romneys hang out. Um, but but somebody captured a still shot, not not a video, but a still shot of uh, Xi, Jinping, Xi Jinping walking in the room and 400 business leaders, 400 American business leaders standing up and giving a, um, a round of applause to a communist dictator.
2: And wasn't the timing interesting? Wasn't not long after that meeting that many of these businesses announced they were pulling their advertising business from Twitter. From well, I mean,
0: X. Well, I mean Elon Musk was not invited, right? To the um, well, he got to afford. I mean, Elon couldn't pay twenty
2: grand <laughs> right. for a, yeah. For a he, he doesn't deserve to be in the room well, with he, all the rich people. That's right? right. He doesn't
0: have enough money to pay twenty <laughs> grand to play to meet with a communist dictator and give him the standing applause. Uh, because so I'm you just know what, that's
2: just interesting.
0: Well, I mean, it's just uh, you know, and and I go back to Disney. You know, Walt Disney, I think, was kind of a unique dude. I'm a little bit different, but Khrushchev comes, wants to meet with Disney. Walt says, no, I I don't want to do that. Why? Because I love my country, and I ain't sure that guy has my country's best interest at heart.
2: I have uh, one more programming note you were at, talking about people coming to tomorrow's broadcast at Rivals. Uh, Alan's mother just let me know that Kerry Tharp is confirmed for 9 a.m. tomorrow, who has a history with South Carolina Athletics. Well, that eases it, it up a little
0: more. That gives yeah. me a little help on my side. I don't need much, but that'll give me a little bit of help <laughs> on, uh, on my side. The one advantage bad boy and I have, he knows how to control that panel, and <laughs> I nudge him when, somebody's getting the best of me <laughs> and he'll probably be rocking a, a, teal green coastal Carolina or Marshall shirt just to antagonize uh, the Gamecocks and tigers. So, so Kerry Thorpe will be with us at nine Oh five. There you go. Little, uh, little reinforcement for the garnet side is, is what it looks like to me. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. So here's the inversion play. You ready, Josh? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, we're getting into deep political thought, deep political strategy. So you've got, in 1959, Khrushchev comes to America, wants to meet with Disney, and Walt Disney says, nah, I mean, you know, I, I, feel, I feel a bit tainted. I don't feel quite as patriotic if I were to meet with you, because you've said some things publicly about our nation's demise and the battle, you know, between communism and, and capitalism, uh, who's going to be the preeminent superpower on the planet, blah, 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 blah. I'm an American. I'm going to be loyal to the American cause. Um, And then you fast forward to uh, the end of last week when uh, Xi Jinping um, comes to America. They clean up San Francisco, um, not for the guys that live there, not for the men and women who call themselves um, Californians and live in the great city of of not so great city now, San Francisco. But they get the place spotless because a communist dictator, but a communist dictator who is a big customer and a consumer and a trade partner with um, those 200 or 400. Was it four or two? That's 400. CEOs that crowded in a big um, gala probably had one of those fancy chandeliers rev hanging from one of those meeting rooms in a, in a very luxurious hotel. I'm I sure. would imagine is where they had this. So the the CEO of Jet uh, Black uh, Rock Jets in Vanguard Jets in Apple Jets in Boeing got to believe they probably flew on a Boeing jet. <laughs> I would imagine. Uh, but they all make their way to California. They um they sit down with a communist dictator and they talk about the ills of the world, uh, some of the trade policy, some of the negotiation. um, I doubt they talked about the Uyghurs. I doubt they talked about genocide. I doubt they talked about human rights. I doubt they talked about, you know, some of the uh, atrocities of the communist dictator. They talked about how to make money. But that's what the meeting was about. Can Apple make more money by bowing down to a dictator? Can BlackRock make more money by bowing down to a dictator? Can have 400 business guys men and women, I doubt patriotism was the central theme. I doubt anybody brought up what Disney did, what Walt Disney did when Khrushchev, I mean, I, you know, I can imagine somebody from Black Rock walking into the, the, you know, the, um, the venue and just about is there to enter. They remember what Walt Disney did in 1959 and they kind of removed themselves from that equation. Okay. Uh, they probably swung the door open uh, and, and walked boldly in and sat out because they want to be in the room when some of these negotiations are done, some of these trade deals are made. But here's the inversion. When you when you think about the people in that room, the 400 men and women who make the American economy go, right? I mean, that we would have to agree to that. I mean, the CEO of BlackRock's a big deal. CEO of Vanguard's a big deal. CEO of Boeing's a big deal. CEO of Apple's a big deal. I mean, those companies are fundamental to existence, whether we like it or not. But but here's where we are in America today, and here's why so much conflict and confusion and contrarianism is happening in American politics. Those 400 people can't tell us what to do, and they're mad as hell. I mean, it's about to drive them back crap crazy <laughs> that they can't tell us what to do. And can you imagine, guys, if you're the CEO of Apple, let's say you're Tim Cook. I mean, Cook's got enough money to go home if he chose to but he's beholden to that job. I mean, he's got to figure out a way to make Apple more and more and more profitable. Well, Apple's got this um, legion of consultants and lobbyists at work. So, so, you know, Cook sends word to the lobbyist team that he's got hired in Washington, something he needs done in some legislation, trade policy, whatever it is. I mean, there's no telling what they're involved in, some of the, the minutiae politics. And his lobbyist comes back. We touched on this last week. This lobbyist comes back and says, I can't get it done. I mean, what do you mean you can't, you've always been able to get it done? I'm telling you, I can't get it done now. I mean, you got this Hawley guy, you got this Mike Lee guy, you got this Rand Paul, they got this new guy named JD Vance. And they won't do the things that we've accustomed to having done. I mean, some of this insiderism is struggling. I mean, we're having a, a hard time getting the ball down the field. That's where we are. I mean, fundamentally, that's where we are. And it's asymmetrical. I don't care what Drew McKissick says, it is an asymmetrical relationship. There is no way that 400 American business leaders meeting with a Chinese dictator is good for the American working class. When you enter that room, you know in your heart of hearts that every activity you're about to encounter and be a part of is bad for the American working class. But, but you're doing it anyway because you've chose profit. I get it. I mean, I understand it. The guy running Apple is not beholden to the American working class. The guy running Boeing is not beholden to the American working class. But guess who is? The Congress I mean the United States. Congress is beholden not to Boeing, not to BlackRock, not to Vanguard, but rather its constituency, its voters and its voters are waking up for whatever reason. It took a long, long time. They're, they're beginning to see kind of the writing on the wall and they're saying, you know, what Boeing wants is not good for me. What BlackRock wants is not in my best interest, so how do we reframe or recast that debate? And that's what we're dealing with today. And Trump is the embodiment of that. He is the the representation of that. And that's the hatred toward Trump. The fact that there is kind of an energized movement happening right before our very eyes, and he's not the lone wolf anymore. He's now got somewhat of an assist team. He's got a Josh Hawley. He's got a... I mean, it looks to me Senator Kennedy from Louisiana is coming around. Um, we know now that we probably have a more America first speaker than we had when Kevin McCarthy was kind of driving the train in the, uh, in the house. Uh, wh- where do we go from here? I don't know. But that's the problem that we're seeing right now. That, that's the, the conundrum that the GOP finds itself in. You've got these allied interests, big business, that have historically kind of called the shots and everybody got in line and did what they were supposed to do until now. Until now. And you've got these 400 business leaders sitting down with, um, you know, uh, some of the American political leadership was there. I mean, I don't know who was there, and there's no way if I was there you'd ever know. I mean, I can assure you of (laughs) that. If I'm a member of Congress and I'm at a venue with, Xi Jinping and 400 American business leaders, you would never know that I was in there. There is no way that you'd catch me dead in one of those meetings. Now, I think Gavin Newsom was there. And I think, um, was Harris there? I think she was. Um, I found out yesterday, got a little inside information on Gavin Newsom and uh, Kamala Harris. They don't care for one another. Here's, Here's what may end up being the case, guys. Because of them not caring much for one another, they may be stuck with Biden. Because if Biden steps aside, let's let's if if Biden falls aside, (laughs) I mean if he steps he falls. So if Biden falls aside, they're not going to be able to find any consensus. Is it Harris or is it Newsom? Um, Newsom gives them the best chance to win. But how do you leapfrog an African American female who was handpicked because they're an African American female? It's, they find themselves in quite the, I mean, I mean, it's a bad situation the Democrats have them in, themselves in, so we may be, or they may be stuck with having to run Joe Biden anyway. Mm. In fact, I would predict now that it's more likely than not. I mean, I changed my mind after hearing some of that yesterday. I believe it'll be Biden. Okay. I mean, I, I just think they've gotten themselves in a imposition. They can't decide. I mean, I think they'd rather have Newsom. But they know the political fallout of jumping over Harris to get to Newsom. And so, so they're going to make a calculus and they're going to decide, hey, you know, Joe, even in his shape, is better than the infighting that would happen if we begin having to choose between Gavin Newsom and Kamala Harris. What
2: well, Wasn't it uh, Robert Haley on this show that spoke about the most loyal voting bloc for the Democrats?
0: African-American females.
2: And, and they have a problem. If they, Sure,
0: you kick her to the curb and yep. go to Gavin Newsom. Yeah, good luck with that. Take a break. Back in a few. We may be in the second inning or the second quarter of this long game that we've talked about. If we're going to change politics in America, you don't do it in one election cycle. I mean, we kind of warned ourselves about that. Trump was the beginning. A lot of people believe Trump was the beginning and the end. The Alvin and the Omega. It's not, there's no way you change that much influence, that much built-in advantage in one election cycle. You just don't. I think one of the interesting questions we asked yesterday, because I've accused Americans of being unserious. I mean, I'm not saying I'm the most serious guy in the world, uh, but, but I try to take some things that deserve and warrant seriousness. I try to seriously consider, you know, parenthood and, and being a husband and, you know, being an employee and coming to work every day. Um, but, but I wonder what it says about the is, – is it kind of an affirmation, Josh, of my belief that the American public is unserious, how many Americans would we forgive? (laughs) Who are we to forgive? But how many Americans would we forgive for voting for Trump in 16, Biden in 20, and Trump again in 24? I mean, what percentage (laughs) of Americans is tolerable? You see where I'm headed? (laughs) I mean, I I voted for Trump in 16 because he's not like the rest of them. I voted voted against Trump in 2020 because Biden wasn't Trump. I'm voting for Trump again in 2024 because Biden just doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, is that a serious way to resolve where you stand politically? Or is it a reflection of a very unserious society, even to the point of, you know, yeah, I voted for Trump in 16. I got tired of him, voted against him in 20. Got tired of Biden, voted for Trump again in 24.
2: If, if people are voting because of emotional reasons, if they vote you know, just based on how they feel at the moment, is that unserious? Well, I mean,
0: okay, absolutely it's unserious. Yeah. Well, no question probably
2: about it. What's... So what
0: is a tolerable percentage? I mean, is, 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 15. is it? Okay, I was going to say 20. We're in the same ballpark. I mean, if one in five voters go to the poll with, with no serious understanding of what they're voting on, we'll, we'll be okay. I mean, it would be better for that number to be zero, right? I mean, I think we'd all agree we'd rather somebody go to the poll and have some understanding of the, uh, the Constitution and, and civics, to Josh's point. Um, But we can probably be okay if 80% go to the poll. Okay, if 20% are going with no comprehension at all. They voted for Trump in 16 because it was kind of fun. I mean, I told you, uh, my wife has a friend. You would never expect this friend to be a Trump voter. Never, 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 never. This person would be the last person you would suspect to be a Trump voter. In 16, she's at work. He comes in and says, you're not going to believe what I just did. What? I trumped it, <laughs> and it felt good. That's when I knew Trump was going to win. You know what I mean? Because mm. I said to myself, if that person votes for Trump, he can't lose. I mean, they, you know, He's going to win. Um, didn't vote for him in 20. Got tired of it. Just tired of the craziness. A lot of it's not his fault, but I'm just tired of it. It wears me out. You know, and It wears everybody else out. I'm voting for this other guy that's been there forever. How dangerous can he be? And now that person's going, he's real dangerous. I mean, they don't know he's in the world half the time. So they're voting for Trump again in 24. So so that would be, you're right, Rev, that would be a uh, a casting of a ballot motivated by just sheer emotion. I mean, the emotions of wanting to do something a little bit different in, in 16. Now, I'm not saying you regret what you did in 16, but Trump kind of kept something going all the time. It wore you out. You got fatigued by it. You went and voted for a guy that had been there forever, and the media had convinced you he was an adult, mature, and knew how government... Was intended to work. Now you've seen what I mean. What you've done is you've lived the last three years, and you've bought stuff, and you've gone to the grocery store, and you paid sixty bucks to park where you normally paid uh, twenty bucks in the industrial wasteland known as Williams (laughs) Bryce Stadium, and and you go Trump it again at twenty four. Okay, if we agree, and I think we're kind of in agreement here, it it, we're we're going to be okay if fifteen to twenty percent are voting based on just raw emotion, Trump. Biden-Trump, I mean, that, that would be an emotional vote. How many are voting for w- what's in it for me? I mean, w- what am I getting out of this? Uh, the the 63 means and non-means tested, you know, entitlement programs, welfare programs, um, am I voting because this party wants to do away with some of these Um, Benefits And this party wants to preserve some of these benefits. Corporate America. You know, how many people from corporate America go to the poll and say, I'm voting for this party because it normally keeps our our tax rates, you know, less and less and less. Who's voting in the name of patriotism? And that's what I'm getting at. I mean, Walt Disney decided to do something not in his financial best interest, but because it was the patriotic thing to do. And I'm not saying I understand patriotism better than you do. Because I would accept that I go to the poll at times emotionally, you know, I'm mean, voting emotionally, understanding that I got, I've got to check these emotions and, and put them in my pocket. Let me ask you a question, Josh. Mm-hmm. I'd be interested in your opinion here. From a pure policy perspective, who's the best Republican candidate today? Forget personality and persona and swagger and name ID and He'll fight the machine. I mean, we know there's a lot of people that are voting for Trump because they don't believe anybody else could withstand what he withstands. They could couldn't stand up to some of the treatment he's had to deal with. But but from a policy perspective, who speaks your language more clearly than anybody? Because Trump's second on my list. Ramaswamy speaks to me more coherently than any of them.
1: I was gonna say, um, because because I do think that Trump does have really good policies. He doesn't – those aren't his main talking points, though, so I think people like DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy overshadow him. I would say Trump, but if I had to put one before him, it would. he would be a very close second to Ramaswamy, and then uh, DeSantis would be a close third to Trump.
0: But those three are clearly lot years ahead of anybody else in the field. Yes. I mean, Chris Christie puts you to sleep. Yes Mickey Haley puts you to sleep, yeah, um, I mean we don't even know asa Hutchinson or whoever these other people are that're still running they're bugger them. I mean I, I might as well be running for him to be for him to be running, <laughs> right, but those three clearly speak to you in a policy way that resonates, yes, okay, Rev? uh definitely
2: Trump, and I give him the edge over everyone else because he's been there and he's actually proven that he will you know enact some policies, I mean, he didn't get everything done, obviously, but I think he he especially economically, he did a good job. And so I'd say his policies uh, speak to me, and I would trust him to be the person to, in, to enact a similar agenda in the second so, so, term. So
0: what do you make about the aggressive way Ramaswamy explains? And, he, and he's very coherent. I mean, he's, very, he's he's aggressive, more aggressive than Trump is. It exclaiming, is. you know, the, the fight against the left and the fight against mainstream media. Is there a place for Ramaswamy? In the America First political movement, I think there no, is. I don't think there's Absolutely. any doubt about it. No um, doubt. And um, and I think DeSantis is um is, is still part of a. In other words, if there's a team that Nikki Haley's the captain of, and a team that Donald Trump's the captain of, I feel like DeSantis is on our team. I mean, he may not be our guy. I mean, he would be my third guy, because I want to. I mean, I, I'm still in the blow up mood. I mean, I still want to blow it up, and I don't think we finished blowing it up yet. So Trump would be first. Ramaswamy would be. Would be second because I think they're still change agents. Uh, you know, DeSantis would be the perfect guy to come in, you know, six years from now, four year, whenever. I mean, five years. We've got a, a year to the election, than a four year term for Trump, unless something crazy happens. Guys, I'm telling you, it's going to be hard for something crazy to happen. I mean, I know anything can happen, and I understand a year's a lifetime in politics. I mean, there's no telling where we go from here. But I was thinking about yesterday, we were talking about Trump's indictments and the potential for him being charged with more. I mean, maybe he's in a jail cell one of these days. But, I mean, we've not even even explored. And, I mean, there there was some news that broke yesterday. There's about $5.3 million in loans that have been forgiven between Biden family members. $5.3 million in loans that have been forgiven— between one Biden family member and another. I mean, they're they're in the business of bank accounts, mailboxes, and forgivable loans. <laughs> I mean, that's their business. Literally. I mean, that that's their wow. business. So we talk about these indictments that Trump is gonna have to deal with. But but I mean, you got another guy that's gonna have some serious legal peril, and he's gonna have to explain at some point in time, somebody on that side's got to explain. All these mailboxes, all these shell companies, all these forgivable loans between family members. I mean, who believes that's on the up and up? Ah, uh, CNN, MSNBC. That's about it. Take a break. Back in a few. I want to piggyback off what we ended the last hour with, and that is the story about mailboxes, LLC, canceled checks, uh, family loans to one another. I mean, it's about $5.3 million floating around out there. I mean, we don't know what the number is yet because I don't think the media has fairly reported on some of the investigations and maybe some of the investigations are being done uh, behind closed doors, and we've not been privileged to any of that information. But former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy uh, was on one of the Sunday morning shows, if I'm not mistaken, and said publicly that he felt the GOP had recently moved closer to filing an impeachment inquiry Against President Biden, political strategist and the Lawfare Project Senior Counsel Gerard Felitti is with us. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thank you. So so what did we find out Sunday that we didn't know before former Speaker McCarthy uh, made that acknowledgement?
3: Well, I don't think we have any more facts than we knew before from the former Speaker that the facts that are known to the members are serious enough to be actually inquiry. We know that you have had you Sabina's know, testifying to Biden's brother, to his family. The committee has obtained records that is mentioned, the bank accounts, five hundred million in loans, uh, money flowing from one another. I think the level of evidence that's been developed is enough to show leaders in Congress a serious level.
0: So, Mr. Fuller, what's the
3: next step? So the next step is we are continuing to because these investigations we have worked in this, the
4: Congress,
3: two cases left in session this year, those will be very busy. They're going to be getting evidence from members of their family and subpoenaing their bank records to show exactly where it's from, where it went and how it transferred between all these and to just that Hunter Biden and, and Joe Biden were intimately involved but looking at the states being involved in this, um, on his name trading on the family name uh, using influence uh, to benefit this is come january to impeach joe biden
0: very well explained thank you sir appreciate your time have a great day sir and we couldn't i mean i apologize for that but yeah. I, mean, I felt if i said to call you back and call you back we would you know um, I think he was saying some good stuff well, there, I mean, but we couldn't hear and it. And I it get bad, real frustrated. I connection. mean, if you're going to, well, I mean, I, I'll hush. I mean, I, I get real overbearing and I'll just, <laughs> i would say let it be.
2: I would say that if you were going to be on radio shows uh, throughout a morning, say, or some, uh, a um, a connection that's made by Fox News to Fox News radio affiliates across the country, that you get a reliable landline phone to make
0: those calls. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm just saying. Well, I mean, I'm with you, and here's what I want to say. I am not accusing anybody of incompetent. I mean, I, that's not my place. I don't know who's competent and who's not, but incompetence. Incompetence is different than incompetent. I'm not accusing any one person of being incompetent. But there is a an exhibition of incompetence when you know your job is to be available and communicate with a person who is. is you got to be sure that the the phones are working and there's a a good connection and you're understandable. Anyway, uh, and, and I
2: acknowledge we have had our phone issues here at the studio. Well, and, and radio you know how tired I am of that. I, yeah, I, I get I get too.
0: really irate when that when that happens. Uh, I, if everybody did their job, the world would be such a a better place, but the one thing, this is when I give the speech, the one thing I told Rev, I met with Rev and Harold Miller at a Groucho's restaurant uh, when they asked me to consider doing a radio show, and I said, man, I don't know how to do a radio show. Well, think about it, and I thought about it. We met again, and I said, here's the commitment I'll make. I'll be here every day, and I'll be here on time. I have no idea where we go from there. Will I suck at it? Will I be pretty good at it? Will people listen? Will people not listen? I can't answer any of that. But there are two things I can tell you. I will be here every day, and I will be here on time. And that's just, I mean, that's the the lowest hurdle. I tell young people today, Josh, I'll tell you this. uh, In today's world, if you're on time and give effort, you're you're, you're ahead of half the field. And I'm not picking on younger generations, but, I mean, we know this from some of the data. go ahead. Well, I mean, I'm not, but, but I'm every generation, Josh will join I mean, I, I, I am a part of the most gluttonous generation in the history of mankind, right? I mean, we've put more stuff on a credit card than any people in the history of human beings. I mean, I'm last year, the baby boomer, the baby boomers are responsible for putting more crap on a credit card and we can't pay the bill than any generation in human history. But, but the one thing the young generation worries me is how serious they take their work ethic. I, I've got some young friends in my life. They're younger than I, and they'll be 10 minutes late and almost convince me I'm 10 minutes early. <laughs> I, be, be punctual. Be respectful. Um, uh, Just just do your job. I mean, you, you're, you're ahead of 50, probably 70% of the field. If you come every day and you're here on time, that, that's a big win in today's world. Let's go to the phone.
2: Jacob in Florence, good morning. You're on the air.
5: Yes, good morning, gentlemen. I hope my phone connection is working very well because <laughs> I, I want to speak to your 1 million-plus listeners this morning. The floor is yours, well, sir. Uh...
2: Your phone sounds good.
5: <laughs> All right. Well, um, uh, my apologies if if you've already spoken about this already. Uh, does the name Javier Malay
0: ring a bell? It does. That is the new president of Argentina.
5: Okay. Okay, good. So what I want to say about that is, uh, Argentina for the past 20 years has been a very left-leaning nation, and that can be said about its voters as well. It got to the point where inflation was so bad, 130%, that the voters had no choice but to elect Javier Malay, who's a libertarian, a, a conservative libertarian, and a very fiscal conservative. And um, I think it's, It's a statement of what's happening in the world. A lot of people globally are waking up and they're saying no to the Great Reset. They're saying no to socialism, communism. They're fed up with it. All this talk about, oh, people want to promote uh, transgender operations. All this talk about people wanting to abort their children. Women do not want to abort children. There's a, there's a, a smaller percentage of women who want to kill their babies. But the left wants to make it sound like all women want to kill their children. I mean, that is a absolute lie. And and all I want to say um, this morning is, I think this is a precursor of things to come. Here in this country, I think Americans are fed up. They're going to elect a conservative in 2024. the conservative candidate, whoever that is, if it's Trump, if it's DeSantis, whoever, is going to win in 2024, all right? Because that's just how things go. Uh, the, the pendulum has shifted the other way. If a country like Argentina, if they have woken up and realized, all right, socialism, communism is not working, that's, that's telling everyone in the world— that people are fed up. And, and that's that's what I want to say this morning, gentlemen. And I uh, wish you a great rest of the day.
0: Thank you, sir. And, and the uniqueness of Argentina, I mean, I read an article yesterday in the American Conservative. You could argue that um, Malay is the first libertarian ever elected to lead a country north of 20 million people. There's about 50 million, 48 million people in Argentina. But I mean, it's a big nation. Argentina. He ran on the premise of dollarizing the economy, the dollarization of the Argentine economy. Um, the dollar had a good rally as a result of. Now I don't know how faith, much faith I have in the in the dollar, but it's it, it's fundamentally in better shape than some of the other foreign currencies. Um, yeah, I mean maybe people are waking up. I don't know. I mean we've had a an episode of this. We had Brexit in uh, in Great Britain. And now we have Javier Malay elected, I guess he's president-elect of Argentina. I mean, one of the interesting, he's a very, very outspoken, I mean, he's Trump on steroids. He called Pope Francis a filthy leftist. (laughs) I mean, you know, I don't know if that's deserved or not. He says that redistributing wealth is a violent act. Um, He calls climate change uh, a lie of socialism. Sounds like my kind of guy. His governing philosophy is you can't give. I'll clean it up. Crap, leftist an inch. Uh, he pledges to end the Central Bank of Argentina. Uh, his view on China is that he doesn't cut deals with communists. Uh, his view on abortion, you ready? Um, when you construct on when you construct on the basis of an incorrect moral principle, the result is filth. How can being able to kill other human beings? Be a right gained. As a liberal, I believe, of the unrestricted right to life based on the defense of liberty. Uh, life, liberty, the property. I defend life. Biology says that life begins at, at conception. Kind of interesting. We talked about Walt Disney a second ago. On other politicians, he says, Mickey Mouse is the aspiration of every Argentine politician because he is a disgusting rodent whom everybody loves. Sounds like a dream come true. Uh, but, but anyway, it's a big deal because Argentina, once again... Is a, is a big nation, mean, it's got 48 million people. And to run on and publicly pronounce that he's going to dollarize the economy, um, go, going to run things in kind of a libertarian fashion, um, something most countries around the world have historically not embraced. Let's go to the phone. Larry in the PD. Good morning, Larry. Good
6: morning. Is my phone working still?
2: You are good. Yes, sir.
6: All righty. So it sounded to me like a minute ago, Ken, you said you didn't want to call any one individual incompetent, but maybe you were going to call everybody
0: Everybody but me. Everybody, everybody but me. Not, it's, not
6: one, it's not one person. It's everybody. But, uh, but uh, I, I was going to say, you know, I think that you pointed to Brexit and you kind of, you know, we talked about Trump getting led and we talked about this Malay guy. I don't think that this is the sign that the, that the population is really changing, I think it's a sign that the fight has begun. I, I know that it sounds weird because you think, no, we got the president. That means the fight is over. But I don't think so. I think if you look at what happened with us, if you look even in Brexit, we're OK, so they have Brexit. What name me the second great conservative thing that Britain has done since Brexit?
0: Well, it woke it, it woke the right. other side up. I mean, the other side—they're not going to. I, I'm with you. You've heard me say this is going to be a long, enduring
6: battle. Yeah, I just think there's a lot of people out there that think, "Oh, great, it's over." No, sir, it has just started. Because just like Bannon said, if you just think these people are going to roll over and hand you the levers back and say, "Okay, here's your government back," you're nuts. They've, there's way too much in it for them. I mean, they're, they're not just fighting for a way of life; they're fighting for a really, really good way of life. I mean, they've had it made. I mean, the Bidens have been moving millions of dollars around for years, years, decades, and you just sit there and say, "Oh, okay, I guess the party's over now, guys." Oh, the, the big money and the and the profit spending and, and the and the favors and the and the backroom deals. Yeah, I, we had a good run, guys. Let's pack it up and go home. Never. That's never going to happen. Um, and I was going to say, too, it is true about people being late. I'll tell you what. I have people look at me and give me all the reasons in the world why I'm crazy for thinking that they're supposed to show up to work on time. It's the funniest thing. But it's not just the young generation. It's uh, it's everybody. You're right.
0: You're right. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate that, my man. And, I mean, I've, I've tried to reiterate that and say, I mean, we're at the beginning of this. I mean, you know, Brexit. Okay, we won. Trump, we won. Uh, Malay, we won. No, but this is, and Larry's right. These people have too much skin in the game to roll over and play dead. I mean, they must fight. They have to. They have to fight. Um, I was reading something a couple of weeks back, and I wish I'd uh, kind of held on to it. I'm pretty good about logging or archiving some of these articles to refer to. Uh, eventually, when some of these conversations ensue, but I didn't do it that day. But it was talking about the amount of money we spent in COVID and where that money eventually ended up. You've seen the um, put the note in the bottle, throw the bottle out of the boat in the ocean, and it ends up in Argentina some right. somewhere, and some crazy libertarian finds it, inspires him to run for president or not. Um, there's a there, there's a there's a chart out there and a storyline, kind of a graph about the money that was created out of thin air and where that money ended up. I mean, it created more disparity in wealth and, and income inequality, m- more than ever. I mean, the, the, the people that ended up with the COVID money w- were, were the ones that played the political game. And they're not going to stop, guys. I mean, these people have too much at stake. They have everything at stake. I mean, not only do they have livelihoods at stake, to Larry's point, but I mean, they have livelihoods that include houses in the Hamptons. And Dallas Cowboys season tickets and, you know, I mean, just enormous benefits that they've enjoyed that they will give up if, indeed, the war is won. Take a break. Back in a few. 843 I still don't believe that the majority of you understand the complexity of the way these people who have fed at the trough of government. I mean, I just don't. I mean, I think we believe we understand, but we don't. It's 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 a little bit like I've, t- I've told you the story about me trying to better understand the Fed. You know, I get ankle deep, and I'm going like, okay, I'm mean, going to understand this. And then I get knee deep, and I'm going like, I'm really beginning to understand this. I get waist deep, and I'm thinking, I, you don't know anything. I mean, you, you, you're more lost now than you, if you ever began. I just think we fail to understand the unbelievable livelihoods that people have made for themselves aligning with government policy, edict, and order. I'll tell you what
2: is really... You know something I've picked up on that I didn't really think of before is the lengths they will go to to protect it.
0: Well, I mean, if you were, if you had that gig,
2: right? I mean, what would you do?
0: I, I, sure, I, know, I, I can't argue with I that mean, part I mean, of If, it. if you had built a, a life dependent upon being properly aligned with government, see, I, I've often said this, and I don't know. I mean, this is the most hypothetical thing you could ever throw out there. But you, you guys have listened to me say that I wish we could build an economy where everybody got. In, in compensation, exactly what they contributed in value. Now, that would be the most hypothetical, unimaginable, theoretical thing ever. But it's kind of interesting for me, windshield time, busy head syndrome, I start thinking about, okay, if that were the case, I mean, if we didn't have government distorting and manipulating, who would make the most money? Who contributes to most uh, to the economy? In other words, you, you get a paycheck that matches exactly what productivity you added or contribution you made to our $25 trillion GDP. Who would make what? And then you kind of um you have seen where you add the um what was the 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 crystal lemon or whatever to the water and it turns it into lemonade. Okay we've got this uh we've got this um this picture of water and it's the pure economy and Josh is producing a radio show and here's exactly what Josh adds and there's exactly what Josh gets back. Rev produces and program manages radio stations. I host a radio show and, and do a little developing. I get exactly what I deserve. I mean, once again, I understand it's hypothetical and theoretical and impossible to achieve. I accept that. That's why we're talking about in theory, if this were the case. But all of a sudden, you take that, that picture of water and you add the, um, the lemon crystal. That's the government manipulation and distortion. And you watch the money. Whoa, he doesn't get as much now. Josh, 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 Josh. We don't have a producers. We don't have a radio producers union. Give me some of that money back. <laughs> I got to give it over here to such and such. You know what I mean? I got to give it to big pharma. I got to give it to big. Buy- yeah, you see where I'm headed. I, I just I'd love for people to be able to. I mean, I'd love to create some way to illustrate how distortive and manipulated the market the market. And I'm talking about the capital, the free market, the the 25 trillion dollar GDP that we are a part of in some way, shape, or form. I've always felt it's a little bit like my father always said. If you want to start a tax revolution, because I'd always, I mean, I'd egg him on about revolutions, and you know what I mean. He's a he. I mean, he, the only person I know hates the government more than me is him. <laughs> He's passed away now, and I guess that's where I get it from. But um, but I can remember my dad would always argue, "You want to start a taxpayers' revolution." pay everybody at, uh, at AA Builders in cash. And as they walk out the door, tell that good old boy that wells those truck beds together for you, hey, ho, 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 you got to put 27% in that tub. Well, do what? Yeah, and then he, he puts 27%. Whoa, 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 whoa. Before you go, you got to put 7% there. And you got to put, you know, quarter percent over here for these entitlements. Um, yeah, it, you would start a riot and revolution before dark. But the dirty secret is, what what do they do? Your, your take-home pay, they get it before you get it. Therefore, you believe you're getting fairly treated. You're not getting fairly fairly treated by any stretch of the imagination. But I've just always wondered how much distortion. I mean, if we could visibly see the um, the, the the true economy, and I'm talking about an economy the government does not distort, does not manipulate it. And a a doctor gets gets exactly what a doctor adds. A lawyer gets exactly a business person, you know, a truck driver, a bus driver, a carpenter, a roofer, uh, somebody who made this table. I mean, in theory, we figure out the perfect formula that everybody gets exactly what they deserve. And then you add the government lobbying, the government policy, the government orders, the government edict, the government's legislation at the federal, at the state, at the local level. And who fares better than whom? And I can tell you who fares better. Um, It would be the, the, the transitioning of funds from one camp to another would be based on the lobbying money. How much money do they spend to lobby the government? They're going to get more than their fair share. The best investment you can make in business today, it's not the most moral or ethical investment, but the best investment you can make today is to lobby your government. But I mean, if you're in business and you're not a part of lobbying your government, you're probably not running your enterprise as efficiently. I mean, in, in a true capital market, that wouldn't be the case. But, but I think we've agreed, the majority of us have agreed, we're not living in a true capital market. We don't live in a free market. We live in a very distorted market, a manipulated market, and, and government plays favorites. I mean, government picks winners and losers. And you win if you play the game, you lose if you don't. That's just the way it works. The point I'm trying to make is I don't think you understand to what degree and how extreme some of those things are, Uh, because I think if you did, every day would be January 6th. I mean, I really believe if the average American knew that the percentage of wealth gained by the wealthiest Americans is gained by basically utilizing government, twisting, turning, um, contourcing government to do certain things in advantage for certain um, ways, you know. Somebody explained to me, well, I mean, I picked on them yesterday, and I don't want to pick on people in certain professions because those folks are friends of mine. Um, And I said yesterday, I don't have any idea what a realtor should make. I mean, they're kind of in in the news lately with this lawsuit and this hearing, and I've read uh, a lot of the Wall Street Journal. They call it financial deregulation. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know enough about that that industry and sector of the economy. I do know that there are $2.6 trillion of mortgage-backed security on the Fed's balance sheet. My my one word question is why? I mean why is there 2.6 trillion dollars of mortgage backed securities on the Fed's balance sheet and what would the housing market look like if that weren't the case? The the median home in a it's probably declined a little bit now but the median home in America post covid is $414,000. What would the median home be? And here it goes back to the lemonade and, and the water. And you put that lemon crystal in it. It distorts everything. What would the medium cost of a home in America be if there weren't $2.6 trillion of mortgage-backed securities on the Fed's balance sheet? You don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. But but I would love to know because I think that would be a fairer reflection of exactly where, where the market is. 843-661-0937 is our number I want to go to this. I want to repeat one thing before I get turned around and start rambling about. I've been very critical of Biden. And for those that joined us earlier, heard this, but, but for all the, you know, the Democrats who wake up a good bit later than <laughs> us hardworking Republicans, hardworking and punctual uh, Republicans, Joe Biden yesterday accomplished something that no American president ever has. And it needs to be recognized for it. Commended? I don't know. You decide <laughs> but it needs to be recognized. Joe Biden is the first American president in American history that has an approval rating half his age.
2: Yeah, that's uh that's His approval rating
0: is 40. He's 81. So Joe Biden <laughs> is now in not just rare territory, unchartered territory. He's in the death zone at Mount Everest. I mean, never in American history has a president's approval rating been half of his age, but he's not Trump, and that gets to the inserya. But he's not Trump. You know, he's a uh, Trump seventy-seven. They're starting to make a big deal out of Trump's age now. You know, and he. he, <laughs> he
2: I, I thought it was funny. You know, Trump released this letter from his doctor yesterday on Biden's eighty-first birthday. I mean, that's just that's just ultimate Trump. But well, that's Trump. Yeah,
0: and it said he's the most healthy seventy-seven year old in the history of mankind.
2: Right. Right. His cognitive test was exceptional. That's what it said. <laughs>
0: Most exceptional ever. You're right. It's not right. exceptional. Stop embarrassing Trump. It's not exceptional. <laughs> that's it's not, the most that's exceptional true. ever. That's true. And he's not fit. That's true. He's the most fit 77-year-old man ever, right? But I just love his ability to troll. Well, he is good at that. Yeah. Rest assured. <laughs> the problem with Biden, he didn't know he's been trolled. But <laughs> I mean, he's probably dozed off at a corner somewhere, you know, at the Oval Office and Susan Rice is on the phone with Obama. Got him asleep now. What do we need to do? He's asleep now, uh, Barack. What do we need to do now? Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. So I want to I explain to the listeners what you try to explain to me during the break.
2: Well, you were talking about in a purely, you know, I guess in a pure in a society where you received kind of what you contributed. Uh, to me, that's a little bit of a complex question.
0: Well, I mean, it's very complex. It's impossible. It's not just complex.
2: Right. It's in, It's impossible to answer that question. Because you could look at it in a purely capitalist money, you know, money in, money out type transaction and come up with, you know, a person or a profession that would, I guess, um, uh, contribute the most to society. But if you add in other, you know, contributions to society, you'd have to consider, you know, first responders good doctors good teachers because they contribute a lot to society that have you know long lingering effects on our society and so you'd have to be you know take that into your calculation right
0: yeah has your hvac ever gone out in the middle of july
2: yeah exactly i mean you're making... has
0: your plummet ever backed up you're right i mean you see where i'm heading yeah. josh real quick so You can't just look at it dollars in, dollars out, well, right? But, but, you, but it, it, it far exceeds complex. I mean, it's impossible to answer the question, but we're barking up the right tree. I mean, we're thinking about, Josh, what, what, what job, what occupation contributes the most to our overall betterment for the American uh, economy? But I mean, There's uh, no right farmers. answer. Okay, farmers. Um, that's a good answer. That's a very good answer. How, how do we eat if we don't have farmers? Uh, that that's a great answer. Um, but but you see where I'm headed. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's an impossible proposition. Rev said complex, No. I mean, it's a million miles past complex. it's It's impossible to figure this out. but but I do believe that there's a way to understand, okay, if if Josh believes a farmer contributes more to the economy than anybody, I mean, you, you could say a doctor, you could say a teacher. I mean, you know, a, a young person, imagine if everybody was illiterate. I mean, imagine if we didn't have teachers. Well, I mean, if we didn't have teachers, some self-starters would teach themselves how to read, teach themselves how to do arithmetic. Truck drivers. drivers. Yeah, truck drivers. I mean, yeah. Um, you, I mean, all these, it, it's a little bit like, remember during COVID when we had these essential and non-essential jobs, and I'm thinking about, how is it a non-essential job would feed your family? But I mean, there's no such thing right. as a non-essential job if you do the job and you get paid and it feeds your family and keeps your 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 family sustained, but I mean, it's an essential job in your in your world. The point I'm trying to make is not who does the most important things in our lives. I think farmers are very important. I think the guy that comes fixes your h v a c on a hundred degree day in July. That moment in time is of great value. Um, could we live without h v a c yeah. I mean, we did for many, many, many years. Could we live without farmers? No, we couldn't. So to me, with all due respect, the farmer's more important than the HVAC repairman. Now catch me in the middle of July when my air goes out, and I'll say, screw that farmer. Give me, <laughs> give me that HVAC repairman. The point I'm trying to make and illustrate is how many of these jobs, what, what degree of increase in compensation I mean, you would agree whether, the, whether the, um, the government distorts the economy or not, a farmer does what a farmer does. So how much more does a farmer financially benefit when government gets in the middle of it? The farm bill, what would be an example? I mean, we have a farm bill every year. When I was on county council and lieutenant governor, uh, I'm from farm country. I'm from rural America. The farmers would call me every now and then. Hey, do you know anybody in Washington, you know, this farm bill's held up. I mean, I knew somebody, but there's no way I could call someone and say, "Hey, speed that farm bill up from my buddies in Pamplico, will you?" <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I can't do that. But, but so, so let's say um, the body shop—I mean, the guy that that fixes the bumper on your car if somebody dings it in a parking lot—I um, mean, how much benefit does he gain? In other words, if if the normal price to fix the bumper on that car is a hundred bucks, but because of some government edict or order, it's two hundred bucks then he's gaining 100% by being in bed with the government. I mean, I'm just making this up. And there are some businesses that that their value is exponentially increased by their ability to influence government policy, order, and edict. Um, I'll give you an example. I'll pick on a particular company. Do you believe that, I mean, if, if everybody is mandated to have health insurance and there's only two health insurance companies you can buy from in South Carolina, I mean, how can that be? I mean, the government mandates for everybody to have health insurance. But the government creates a system that only allows two insurance companies to basically duopolize and really monopolize. Well, you know who I'm talking about here, Um, you know, the health insurance market in a state. I mean, do you think that's just the way it happened or that health insurance company suggested to government or made rules for government, uh, you know, created policies or created legislation that kind of only suited their model. Of you course, know the answer of that. course I know the answer <laughs> to that. Well, what would insurance in South Carolina be if 25 companies were competing for your health insurance? Exactly. Let's go to the phone. Mike and Florence. Good morning, Mike.
7: Hey, I, um, I'm going to change the subject. If, uh, if I may, I um, want to get your opinion on something that, uh, our past governor Haley said last week, and you guys have probably talked about it, but I didn't, didn't catch your, your comments. Or thoughts on it. She, you know, made a statement about uh, everybody having to um, divulge their name when they post anything on the media. And of course, all the folks that are trying to score points against her came out and say, "Well, that's a horrible idea. You know, we can't do that. That's communist, and that's something that you know she would say." And uh, but their argument is, "Well, you know, because the the founding fathers, they, you know, they had to they used pseudonyms when they wrote the Federalist Papers." And I'm going well, that's a ridiculous argument. I mean, they they had to do that or or get hanged, you know, if they, they use their real name. So on the surface, her comments made sense to me. So I'm just wondering what your opinion is on that, if you agree with her or if you agree that, you know, because, you know, Jefferson had to use a pseudonym, then that means when we post on Instagram, we should use a pseudonym too. So, what do, you, what do you think about that?
0: Thank you, sir. Appreciate the call. There's a little bit of me that says you should be man or woman enough to put your name on a comment. I mean, I, there is. I mean, you know, as someone who has run for office and been in a political crap storm, I mean, somebody anonymously saying or suggesting X, Y, or Z, I mean, it's frustrating. Sign your name to that, man. I mean, sign your name to that lady. But I mean, if you're going to beat up on a politician or beat up on what, what the General Assembly or a lieutenant governor did, then be man or woman enough to, to sign your name. But I don't trust the government. I mean, if I trusted the government to, be, if if I believe that the only reason the government wanted that information was to monitor hate speech, and you know the, the the perpetrating of violence against someone else, but the government's proven to me to be untrustworthy. So under no circumstance do I support Nikki Haley. Under no circumstance would I support allowing the government to disallow you to post anything you choose to post anonymous. I mean, all I
2: can think about is what they did so far. Go back to the time when you would post something on social media. If you questioned the outcome of the election, or if you question the efficacy of the vaccine, I mean, they shut you down. Now, what if that was to the next level where, okay, we've got verified information. We know who you are, where you live, and the government gets that information. And we're going to come knock on your door and talk to you about what? those crazy things you've been saying. And we never, I don't like we that.
0: never imagined that would be on the table, I but know. it is. I mean, it is today right. in America. We've got example after example after example, and I think those illustrations are perfect, Rev. Um, I'm on Twitter, and I say, man, I don't trust this vaccine. I mean, there's, there, Pfizer's not being honest with us. They're in bed with the government. Um, the government's waived some of the um, stringent requirements of vaccine science, blah, 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 and I sign my name because the only way I can put it in the public domain is to own it, to sign my name to it. Hey, we're with the FBI. Um, we consider you to be a menace to society, to threaten danger to, to mankind. You're discouraging. You're kind of articulate, and you sound a little bit like you know what you're talking about. And you're discouraging people from getting the vaccine, and we're demanding of people to get the vaccine. That, that freaks me out. I mean, that, that just that makes me more nervous than you can imagine to trust the government to know when to pump the brakes. I, I just don't. I mean, the government in recent times has proven to me, you may disagree, proven to me to be untrustworthy. And, and I just believe that the government would take that ability and abuse it. And I think the next thing you know, there would be knocks on doors. There would be censoring of opinions. And Rev, if Rev had an alternate opinion to the company stores, it would be squelched. It would be censored. And if he wouldn't shut up, he may uh, have a visitor show up one of these days. Take a break. Back in a few. 843 661 Every now and then we'll do a public service, right? If something happens out of the ordinary, we got a good friend of our show. If you remember in the old days, um, Alan and Perrin came on the show. Um, they're regular and, contributors yeah, regular a weekly con- feature. We kind of did a, um, you know, know your pet and understand your pet and pet report sort of thing. And he's ever the animal lover. And he's on the phone this morning trying to get the word out. If I'm not mistaken, you talk to him. So yeah. you explain it better than I.
2: Yeah, Dr. Causey is on the phone, and, and he had a situation that he was wanting to kind of get the word out to help, uh, I guess, help a, a pet situation that he's been made aware of. So, Dr. Causey, you there?
8: Yes, sir. I sure am. Thank you for the introduction, guys. That's very kind of y'all. And thank you, all three of you guys, for even con- contemplating this. I, I think that's just wonderful that y'all would, would do this. We had a uh, a dog picked up probably probably got kept from getting killed in the road because this lady good friend of ours caught him got him up here and we're trying to reunite this guy with his family you know thanksgiving's coming up i couldn't imagine if you had little kids that you know eight or ten years old and the dog disappears so we have a dog at our office right now that we would love to see get back to his home And that's what we're trying to do now. I'm not going to describe the dog. I'm not even going to say if it's a male or female. But we have a dog here, and if there's any way we can get this thing back to his family, I'd love to help. So, what do we need to do? Give me your phone. What what
0: what information are you comfortable giving out, Doctor? Cause you want to call your office if someone's
8: missing a dog.
2: And, yes, sir. And, Absolutely. And, what, and what area was the dog picked up? Do you know?
8: I think we were in South Florence. This young lady caught this thing, and, and he, he was strong, young. That's all I'll say. But it was in South Florence, and uh, she got him up here, and she safely captured him and got him into her house and took care of him and brought him up here so that we could keep him from jumping fences, I think is what they said, but... Anyway, our phone number is 843-669-1544. 1544. Four. We'll announce that yes, another
0: sir. couple of times throughout the morning, Dr. Causey. Good to hear from you. and Man, um, you too, guys. And, and, and God, we'll, we'll try our best to get hearing. this dog back in, uh, back in the hands of its owner.
8: Man, thank you, guys. I cannot say enough how much good y'all guys do. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate yes, that, Dr. Alan Causey uh once
0: again a um kind of an original cast member. It sure. would've been like Saturday Night Live, real. We send people <laughs> off to bigger and better things. And yeah, Alan sure. and Perry joined us once a week in the in they the did. old days of wake up. That would have been Good Morning P yep. D. And then it we evolved and got big and fancy and <laughs> hired producers and all these other sorts of <laughs> oh, things. Yeah. And then that Trump gets elected. And um I mean that that was really I don't want to say the day that talk radio exploded because Limbaugh had exploded far before then, but Trump wasn't bad for business. So I can assure you <laughs> of that. I tell people all the time, if you're a, uh, a radio show host and you don't vote for Trump, you're motivated by something other than you must be an altruistic soul. I mean, if you know, if, if you're in this business and you don't vote for Donald Trump, altruism is the name <laughs> of your game. You're not, uh, the typical self-preservationist, That I readily admit I am. But if somebody out there is missing a dog, and and I understand calls do not want to tell what kind and what sex and all that good stuff, but uh, 843-669-1544, and maybe bandy that about at the office or job site or wherever it is um, you're you're, kind of in and out of today. Somebody's missing a dog. We want to get that dog back to its rightful owner. Dog wants to get with the owner. Gotta believe the owner wants to get back with the uh, with the dog. Eight four three six six nine one five four four. Let's go to the phone.
2: Rujon in Darlington. Good morning, Rujon.
0: Good morning, gentlemen.
4: Uh, you're Kenard. You got Dave Baker with you. You got Josh. I'm Rujon. But uh, now Nikki Haley wants us to use don't want us to use any pseudonyms, and so we got to register. Uh, what does she register at? I mean. Nobody calls her Nimrata. Not very many people know that's her name. I do. But, I mean, is she going to gonna stop using the civil name? She's going to stop using Nikki Haley? Why don't we start calling her Nimrata? Nimrata is a little bit different than, than Nikki because when you start saying Nimrata, you, you go into a little bit different uh, political realm because people start to know your ethnicity. And uh, that might be a little bit problematic, don't you think?
0: I hear the sarcasm. Thank you, Rujan. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I knew that. Thank you, Rujan. I appreciate it. I mean, I knew that name because I introduced Nikki at some of the um, uh, t- uh, two state of the state addresses, and that was indeed her um, her full name, and we introduced her by her full name those mm-hmm. two times. I don't know if I should have or not. Maybe I did it for spot. I don't remember. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I, I'm just not into. Once again, I believe in a perfect world. If Josh had something unpleasant to say about me, he would put his name in it. I mean, you know, in a perfect world. I mean, if we, if we were Vulcans and the, and the earth was a perfectly inhabited place and nobody did anybody, any harm or damage or said nefarious or, or mallet malicious things. I mean, yeah, but I, I accept I don't live in, in, uh, in paradise. You know, I'm a Christian. I believe paradise awaits on the other side and we do the best we can to grind through this life and, and enjoy ourselves. And, um, and I think part of that is the right to express yourself as you see fit. And I believe the government would abuse that privilege. I believe if Josh wanted to say something negative about Pfizer, Josh should be allowed to say that anonymously. And I think if Josh were allowed to say something about Pfizer and forced to put his, his name aside that comment, there would probably be some sort of um, consequence there. And I'm just not for that. If the government was trustworthy, and this really could go all the way back to the moral authority argument, um, I mean, does does a representative republic work if the government loses the moral authority? I mean, isn't that kind of the central fabric of what we're talking about? Doesn't self-governance require a kind of a trust some degree? I mean, I'm not saying a high level of trust, but self-governance requires the people electing its governmental leaders trusting that they'll do the right thing and we have found out the hard way in the last 25 30 40 years that the government doesn't always do the right thing they abuse some of those some of those privileges so if the government was trustworthy and they knew where to stop and if josh said something negative about a vaccine or dead or whatever he said it was negative toward government i mean imagine saying something negative about government and government controlling the data bank of people who say things negative about it. I mean, what right. is government motivated by, to do the right thing or to self-preserve? Uh, sure. I mean, they, they like the advantage they have, so they're going to stay in, in in that situation. So there's no way that I would be supportive. Once again, if, if we lived in a perfect world, people wouldn't say negative things or derogatory things uh, anonymously. But we don't live in a perfect world, and the last people I want to try and construct this perfect world is the government because in their perfect world, they have control. I mean, that, that's just the nature of human beings. You give a, I mean, let's go to the Springsteen. Poor man want to be rich, rich man want to be king. King ain't satisfied till he rules everything. So if I want to say something negative toward my government, I got to put my name on it.
2: Or even if you want to ask a question, yeah, go to the 2020 election. If you didn't feel comfortable that the results that there, there were some, statistical anomalies that we've talked about you know not necessarily even making accusations and staying an election with stolen but if you wanted to ask the question hey this doesn't make sense and you put something like that out there are they gonna come knocking at your door and say hey misinformation man yeah we, we
0: need to we need talk you, to stop you about this. that we need you to knock that off but if you don't knock it off uh you know trouble's headed your way what do you mean trouble's headed my way there's no law against what i'm doing no but there's a law against what you may be doing i mean have you ever sped? I mean, if you, you know, taxes, I mean, you know, there's a million ways the government and and the centerpiece of this is my belief that government has become punitive. I mean, the constitution, here I go with my political speech. You ready? You ready, Josh? The constitution was intended to protect people from the government, not the government from its people. And I think the right to post anonymously on social media should be preserved. You should be entitled to. To that right if you want to say something critical about your government and not sign your name to it you should be allowed to do that now if the government had the ultimate moral authority then then I would be okay because if I didn't believe the government would abuse that privilege of authority then I'd say okay the world's better off if we don't sign things uh, I mean if we sign if we say negative things we sign our name to it I mean I believe the world's a better place but but I that, that's that's you asking me to believe that, that government is in ha- and is, is inhabited by angelic forces and i just don't buy that
1: well and I, it seems like a moot point anyway because i mean if the cia wants to find out who silly goose one two three four is they're gonna find out anyway so really i get you know what she's getting at but i just don't agree with it you know
0: yeah well i just don't trust the government she apparently yeah. does let's go to the phone jammy
9: in darlington hey jam
0: good
9: morning guys uh want to say how much I miss the Causey's and um, and that bit that y'all did with them. They they really added a nice little sliver to y'all's show and, you know, animals are so important to everyone and it just really added a nice dimension to your show and I, and I do miss them. But the reason I called was to wish you and Dave and um, um, Josh uh, happy Thanksgiving and I hope um, I hope y'all have a wonderful time. Just don't bring up politics during dinner.
0: Thank you, Jim. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank we, you.
9: We don't talk politics at
0: Thanksgiving <laughs> around around my crowd. We just don't. I mean the majority of us kind of agree with one another. We may not agree on Trump, but we agree on political philosophy. I'm trying to think if I've got a raging liberal in the family. Ah uh, not in the close family. I got a few on the periphery, but, but I don't have a raging liberal. In my um, in my immediate sphere of family influence. Um, thank you, Jam. Appreciate that. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to all of you. And I guess we could um designate some time to let others call in and say what they're most thankful of. I mean, I got a lot to be thankful for. I got a lot to complain about, and I do that. But I got uh, much to be thankful for. And I guess one of the great fears I have in my life is one of these days, I'm gonna get what I deserve. <laughs> Cause I know I get much better than I, than I deserve. Let's go to the phone. Jay and
2: Nichols. Good morning, Jay.
10: Hey, good morning guys. And again, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Uh, I've been thinking about what you were saying, you know, what is the most important job or most productive job and thinking about today's world, I would have to say it would have to be energy sector personnel because without them, everybody else cannot produce. You know, the farmer needs the fertilizer and the fuel to run his equipment. Uh, You know, the AC guy, you ain't got to have power in your house for AC. Uh, You know, energy sector drives our economy, and that's something that our government has forgotten about. Energy sector drives everything that we do today.
0: Thank you, Jay. Appreciate that. Can't disagree. I mean, when you think about it, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but there's these um, stop the oil protesters. some I mean, of they're laying in roads, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're blocking traffic. They're nuts. some I mean, of they're they're, they're crap crazy. They're nuts. Um they're wearing these plastic vests that they identify as. some I mean, of they're on the team, you know, so it's almost like a DOT worker. They're wearing these plastic vests, and this guy walks up and says, How did you guys get here? Um, when you block traffic, you're making these um, fossil fuel run cars sit still and burn fuel without going anywhere. Um, wh- where do you think those vests came from? Th- those tennis shoes, those, um, those jogging shoes that you've got on? Where do you think that rubber came from? They're nuts. And, and, and my problem is some of the sophisticates in American culture and society, they're not nuts, but they're sophisticates and they're buying into this nonsense this climate change nonsense and they're going to resituate the way we provide energy for the greatest economy man has ever known and we're going to pay a hell of a price if we allow these nuts to be in charge of our energy grids we are guys and I mean there's a lot of momentum there it's one of the great debates in american politics today where do we go from here on our energy grid i'll share something that some of our elected officials would probably be rather not share. It's not their fault, but because of the fiasco with the the nuclear plants that we had in South Carolina, I mean, if we have a real long cold spell, we're going to have rolling blackouts. Trust me. I mean, I know enough to be dangerous here, That's guys, not good. And I still have some relationships in that world. Um, I mean, you can cross your fingers. But if we have an extended period of very cold weather, there is a better than 50-50 chance that we're going to have rolling blackouts, and we're still allowing these nuts, these, these, these climate terrorists, to basically argue for a certain sort of energy based on the premise that they know what the temperature of the planet Earth is going to be 50 years from now. The absurdity of that. Arrogance and absurdity is what I kind of correlate it to. And some of the sophisticates who kind of sort of like out think themselves— I now, mean, but they're 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 currying favor with the nuts, and the nuts are currying favor with them, and they want to reformat our entire energy grid in one of the most undependable ways that that would lead to a just say a, a, a devastation of how we lead and live our lives. Take a break. Back in a few eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. A couple of callers. Let's go there. Nick
2: in Lexington. Good morning, Nick. You're on. Good
0: morning, fellas, and happy
11: holidays. I guess to start. Ken, you were talking about um, a monorail going to the games. Why don't they start with just having a passenger rail with all the existing tracks they got?
0: Yeah, I mean, that that, that would be a good idea. Um, I mean, they got it.
11: They got one. There's one that goes right through five points. There's one that goes right by the Coliseum.
0: I guess you'd have to ask city leadership, but I, mean, I don't know who gets to make that decision. Sometimes – I wonder if the city leadership ever communicate with the university leadership because they've both got a lot at stake, you know, coordinating or not. But 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 the dilemma is the off-campus stadium. And, I mean, I I know this to be true. Now, I don't know the answer. But the problem is these kids during the day take Uber to the stadium. Uber will not come and get these kids immediately following the game. And I don't think they could if they wanted to. So the kids at halftime – leave and call uber because uber will there's not this big traffic jam you know in halftime of a game and and now the kids you know they're, they're kind of lambasting the students and i'm going like well i mean figure a way to to get the students back to their dorms or back to five points or back to the vista but, but i mean could north fork southern or somebody call
11: them and see if they
0: could make a loop i i would imagine i mean if i were mayor of columbia or president of the university I I would be trying to organize or coordinate some of that. Now, I don't have any idea if they've tried that or not, but I know when Shane said what he said, you know, we need you there, and we need you there the whole game. Um, I mean, I reached out and said one of the problems is, and I've talked to university board members that are friends of mine. I've never talked to somebody at at the city of Columbia, but I got a couple of buddies of mine who are on the board, and, and I said the problem is these kids Uber to the stadium and can't Uber back home. So at halftime, instead of getting stuck for two hours, they decide to go back to the Vista or five points or their dorm room.
12: I got you. Well,
0: I just, I didn't, I wanted to mention that to you. Yep. Have a good week. Thank you, Nick. I mean, that's, you know, just put everything on the table. I mean, university leadership, city leadership, county leadership. I'm going to get, you know, whomever's got to be involved in all that. I don't know the answer, uh, but there's a problem, and it's an off campus stadium. And kids, like I said, Uber to the stadium all during the day. And if a kid wanted to Uber right after the game, there's no way in Hades that Uber gets there and gets them to a place. And I look, and I've told my daughter, I don't want you walking by that railroad track. And and I certainly, you know, you're hanging around a stadium two hours after a game. And I think you you owe the kids better than that. You know, I I just think you owe the students a way out of there. Um, From what I've gathered, there is a trolley or two or three, that kind of um, make a loop, but it takes forever, commit more assets. I mean, yeah, that's just anyway. Don't get me started on, on that. That's a that's a rant for another day.
2: They seem to be able to always schedule a train crossing, what, Assembly Street after a game, don't they?
0: Well, I mean, the, 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 the train the <laughs> They can't even coordinate well, not it, having the, trains the on the trains Assembly Street. trains could care less about football. And, I know. You know. I mean, you know that. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there are a lot of things that could improve. I'll just leave it there. Yep. Let's True. go to the phone.
2: Jeff in Florence. Good morning, Jeff.
9: Wow. I almost passed out. So you're advocating for mass transit
0: in certain situations. Yeah. I mean, I think Marta is a, an ingenious idea.
9: (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's good in cities for sure. It is. Um, you know, uh, I, I wanted to call, you know, there, there are these, uh, stop oil nuts that's waste their time, uh, out there protesting, um, irrationally. Uh, they, they sure do. Um, Nobody's really advocating for the stop of oil. Um, They're they're talking about alternatives, developing alternatives, which I think you agree with, right? I'm for
0: any sort of energy, the most efficient, effective, affordable energy possible, whatever that means.
9: Yeah. So, and as far as the, the nuclear plants, you know the stop oil people had nothing to do with those plants failing, right? Correct. Correct. Right. I mean, it was... A, a group of people got a contract to build those nuclear power plants that should never have gotten the contract because they had didn't have the
6: experience
9: in the skills to build nuclear power plants. The and and, and
6: they
0: called a handle. couple of bad breaks, Jeff. I mean, I, I'm not excusing. I mean, I, I think it was a boondoggle, no doubt about it. And the and the the taxpayer and ratepayer in South Carolina are being penalized for something that they didn't goof up. Republican, Democrat, oh, yeah. liberal, conservative—it doesn't matter. You're paying too much for power today because of that boondoggle. But but I'll give them a little bit of deference in that some things happened out of their control. There was you an issue, not. Mitsubishi you and Westinghouse.
9: Not give them any? Well, I mean, they, I, they sold that on purpose. Well, I mean, you,
0: you, 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 I said I did. I didn't say you had to. I said I'll give right. them a little bit of deference there. Yeah.
9: If you dig in and you see that uh, Shaw Industries bought a company called uh, Weber and Stone, who is an engineering firm that specialized in nuclear power plant development in the 70s, um, but they bought them on the cheap in, in the 90s, and they automatically got on the bid list to build nuclear, to engineer and construct nuclear power plants, and they had no experience. Everybody was gone. And then they took that toxic asset, and they sold it to Chicago Bridge & Iron. There's articles written about this. And Chicago Bridge & Iron bought their portfolio, Stone and & Weber and Shaw Industries, looked at what was going on in South Carolina, and immediately turned around and sold it to Toshiba and Westing, Westinghouse.
0: But, but, but some and of that, it was, well, in, in, in 2007, if I'm not mistaken— It might've been 08. I mean, I got there in 10. I got there in 11. I ran in 10. I got there in 11. Um, the, the base load review act was allowing some of these utilities to recover cost for the financing of nuclear construction and
9: development.
0: Yeah. yeah, Well, I mean, construction and development. Some of the pre-construction costs were a big part of that, but I mean, it ended up saddling taxpayer rate payers. I'm sorry, rate payers with all these abandoned nuclear plants that, you know, I mean, here we are. And, um, no, but it, it's a bad yeah. deal.
9: But nobody's against nuclear, okay? We are developing modular nuclear power plants. Well, but
0: I think the answer uh, to, to South Carolina new- is probably some of the more mobile, portable, um, what I call the satellite nuclear power generating station. I yeah, mean, that modular. seems to be, yeah, yeah I mean, to me, that seems to be the best path forward.
9: Yeah, they're scalable. Like, depending on whatever city you had, it's not a one-off build like most of the fuel power plants in the United States. Correct. Correct. Like, you know, they're all different. They all have their quirks. But they're developing new, modular, scalable. Like, if you need more power, you just put seven of those in instead of four of those in. You know? So, uh, we've got a, a future coming for that. But we have a lot of fuels being developed. They're making fuels out of ammonia. They're making fuels out of CO2. They're making fuels, renewable fuels, out of, out of products that were, frankly, waste. And so our, our energy future looks bright. Um, do you see all the construction? Um, I don't know that I agree with our energy
0: future looks bright. Seems that some of the policymakers are forcing us to decarbonize far faster than we need to or are able to.
9: Well, you do have to invest in new technology.
0: I'll agree to that. I'm not denying that, but I think it's a generational shift, not something that happens in a decade.
9: Do you, and it is, but if you don't start working on it today, you'll never have it for tomorrow.
0: But, I mean, we're working on it. I mean, I think you'll agree that there there is a genuine consensus amongst lawmakers to try and generate less of our energy Uh, from fossil fuel
9: and and producers and in chemical companies are investing uh we we've got a boom in this country whether you 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 see it or find it we're there are new plants being built all over the united states gulf-centric um developing new fuels and and today if you had to guess Are we producing more oil today than ever before? I think we are. We are. I mean, we are producing more oil, pumping more oil, processing more oil than we ever have in history. And it won't slow down.
0: It can't slow down. We're consuming more than we ever have in history.
9: And we're selling. and. And we're selling
0: more. See, and that's where you and I would probably disagree. I mean, I I would rather see us become less dependent, more more self sustaining. I'm not. I'm not arguing for. Well, I mean, maybe that 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 may be where I get real real protectionist. I mean, I I could be that protectionist in uh, in arguing against allowing American energy producers to export oil.
9: Ah, that's that's real America first. It, it, it was illegal for us to sell crude oil Correct. Uh, after the 1970s. They lifted that ban. We exported crude oil. Now we're exporting refined goods like at a level never seen before. Uh, Mexico's refining capacity is probably down to like 15% of their high. And, and their their appetite for oil is amazing. And we are capitalizing and making a ton of money.
0: Well, Jeff, um, if if all we're yeah. going to do is agree, then I, I I get real bored with you. I mean, I, and you probably get well, yeah. real bored. You yeah. get real bored with me. Plus, we got a break. I'm sorry, Jeff. Um, that's yeah. two consecutive days. Hey,
2: uh, hey, Jeff. Uh, Trump's great. What do you have to say about that? Uh,
9: look, uh, cook that goose.
2: <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's we just had to break. have some disagreement yeah,
9: well, here. it's the holidays.
0: I mean, you know, we, we we've agreed to put our our lovey-dovey faces. On. We'll get back at it after after the holidays. Two consecutive days of Jeff and I agreeing more than than disagree. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I don't either, and I don't think he does. Take a break. Back at a few eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Couple of callers on the phone. Let's go there. David in the PD. Good morning, David.
12: Hey, good morning. Hey, I love the what is it? The double A truck analogy. Go out there and sweat, and we're going to take 25% of your take-home pay. And then, yeah, you'll get it back uh, next January, some of it. The rest of it, you got to wait 40 years to get it. The sad part about it is just the flippancy that this government has on that. And, you know, we're talking about Thanksgiving. You know, I'm going to give thanks for this show. And I'm thinking about myself. Um, Williams called in earlier. He said he was buying gas on Highway 78, and I always think I used to live in Bamberg, and I worked in North Charleston, so I call it the Nicky to Tim Scott Highway, and I used to enjoy, and it was just peaceful for me to drive down that road, so, but I'm thinking about Williams, he didn't have to hunt for an EV port, and I meet people now, they got to hunt for an EV port, and you can't buy used E D. And I don't know about you, Ken, but I haven't paid full price for a car since I was about, I don't know, 22 years old. Uh, and then you think about you're uh, able to let people like Williams and Jeff call in. And I watched that same thing you watched the other day on ABC, Washington Post, New York Times, NPR. And it's not uh, ABC anymore, it's Disney. It's Disney. And Disney knows there's a lot of eyes in China. Uh, there's a lot of people out there. They look at that global market. So guess what? They don't care what's going on on Highway 78 between Bamberg and North Charleston. And and but God bless uh, Williams and uh, Jeff. Have a happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate
0: that. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. And happy Thanksgiving to everybody else. This is the last hour. And what five minutes of uh, politics and we'll get uh, we'll get going on the rivalry game um, started tomorrow at rivals the store divided from six until 10. We'll be live and in living color simulcasting with our ESPN sister station would invite all of you. I mean, if you're in the neighborhood or not show up at rivals the store divided, they'll have some specials and we'll have some donuts courtesy of Krispy Kreme, some coffee courtesy of Krispy Kreme um, last year. It was about 2-1 to Tigers. Got to do better in that game, Cox. A lot of orange. Yeah, a lot more orange than Garnet last year. Let's go to the phone.
2: Anthony in North Carolina. Good morning. You're on.
4: Hey, morning, fellas. Uh, Let me give you a bit more uh, politics to chew on. Yesterday when I called, um, uh, Ken, you didn't catch it, though, but that call call back after me said that I said all black uh, voted the opposite of Biden. I, I never say all. And Ken, you kind of person, too, that debate a lot. We never say all oh, because then you leave yourself open for, you know, examples. But uh, most of us, if we was paying a certain price for groceries, food, our bills, whatever, during this president, a new president come in and everything goes sky high. and The old president is, is trying to, to um, come back in. That's common sense to vote for him to get prices back down. I mean, that's just vote for your pocket. It's funny how whenever you ask him, well, why are you voting for Trump? He couldn't really say no policy. All he said was uh, because he said something negative about black people. Y'all, man, our black Republicans, man, they they funny now. But the reason I, I was thinking, though, is that um, anytime there's controversy with the election, I know that something big is going to happen. Whenever Gore really did beat Bush, 9-11 happened. Trump, ain't no way more black people voted for Biden than they did for Obama. That was rigged. And then we had um, COVID. Every time something like that happens, but I'm listening to the, y'all talk about the power of the government. And Ken, you got something against Obama. I just don't get it because to me, Obama was more of a gay president. He he, he brought in gay rights for, for gay people. That Patriot Act and Homeland Security or George Bush and Dick Cheney changed America and the world forever. His daddy said a new world order, but we always ignore it, I guess because he's a Republican too. But that... Patriot Act and Homeland Security, that's the reason why you can't say too much on the radio or on emails or you can't get together as a group or you label, label a terrorist. They, right now, because of the Patriot Act, they come to your house, take you out of your house with no charges, and you don't know when you get out of jail or whatever. But you say Obama was the worst president. My last thing, though, is um, we got a. oh, first of all, I want to know when that guy coming back that said, how would, how would the world be if Europeans didn't make a vote? And go over the world with it. How would it be with Because I would tell him that it would be at least probably about 10 billion people in America now if everybody would have stayed in their countries. But my last thing is, we gotta stop talking about China as an enemy, China, this, China, that, whatever. The world, America can explode today, and the world would miss a beat. If China explodes. The world is in total chaos. We get our medicine, we get the plants, we get some much stuff made, whatever, 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 from China. The world can, can do without America. It can't do without China. And y'all folks, have a good day. Thank you, um,
0: Anthony. Happy Thanksgiving to you, sir. Appreciate you calling in, and uh, that voice is always welcomed here. I just I try to start this morning's show off with something. That, I mean, I think there's a contrast. And today, uh, we went back to 1959 when Khrushchev visited America and wanted to meet with Walt Disney. And Disney perceived Khrushchev to be, uh, you know, an enemy to the United States. And he said, look, I don't have any idea what he wants to meet about, but I'd rather not because I find him to be, you know, against the will of my nation and my people. And patriotism kind of runs in my veins that he chose to not. And at the end of last week, um, Xi Jinping is in San Francisco and he meets with 400 business leaders. And I'm not talking about the guy running the muffler shop. Uh, behind the metal building. I'm not talking about the guy in Pamplico running a truck body business. I'm talking about the CEO of Apple and Intel and uh, Google and uh, BlackRock and Vanguard. And I'm talking about the who's who in corporate America. And when Xi Jinping walks in the room, he gets a standing ovation on American soil. Now, I doubt there was many comments or conversations about Muslims or Uyghurs or, or anything else. I doubt there was a lot of, debate about human rights and salaries and wages and health care and pensions and benefits. But I mean, it's about, you know, our, and I think Anthony's on to something here, our dependency on China. You know, we made a deal in 2001. Uh, the, the Bush administration agreed, because uh, we're still the 800-pound gorilla, we agreed to allow China um, entry into the World Trade Organization. That was basically saying to China, you are now the world's manufacturing plant. And here we are, you know, what, 22 years later, and a lot of the, the West manufacturing capacities have been outsourced to, to China. And I don't think that's healthy. I don't think Anthony believes that's healthy. I don't know that Jeff believes that's healthy. Um, I'd like to see America making things again, but the spirit of America was what I was talking about, not fundamentally manufacturing and trade and who makes what and uh, are there tariffs and what sort of um, trade imbalances are there. I'm talking about 400 American business leaders standing up and applauding a Chinese dictator on American soil. doesn't seem patriotic to, well, me, to it, use a word. It's just odd to me. Once again, now, uh, I'm not a high-flying financier. I'm not a corporate rebel or, or uh, you know, raider, but, but it's just – It's kind of interesting to me that in California, one of the, uh, I guess one of the, probably the most powerful dictator of the world today was celebrated on American soil by 400 of our prominent um, and important business leaders. Quite the difference between Walt Disney saying thank you and no thank you to Khrushchev. Take a break. Back in a few.
12: Up the road and pray to god i see headlights i made it down the coast in 17 hours picking me a bouquet of dogwood flowers and i'm hoping for riley i can see my baby tonight I pick a banjo now Oh, North Country Winners keep on getting me down Lost my money playing poker So I had to leave town, but I
0: Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Hootie and the Blowfish one day, Darius Rucker the next day. We're kind of taking advantage of our privileges here, Josh. Both of us in the in the studio being Gamecock fans. If you were a Tiger fan, we would certainly give you your uh, respect. But you're not. Uh, you're an App State fan. Uh, you're an App State graduate. I don't know if you're an App State fan or not. Are you? Uh, yeah. Uh, sure. Okay, I, I heard that. <laughs> He's more of a graduate than he is a um, a fan. So we're taking executive privileges over here with our choice of music. Um, uh, you if, know, just, if nothing else, we've always got Darius. Yeah, Darius loves the Gamecocks. No yep. question about that. And um, who would be the most famous? Well, I mean, Darius hit a graduate. Um, he went on to bigger and better things. <laughs> a little bit like, uh, you know, so, some of the um, Silicon Valley guys who didn't graduate Stanford. Now, Stanford claims them now. Like, wow, he went to Stanford. They didn't graduate. Everybody went to Stanford, you know. um, Some of these tech titans and whatnot. Um, Programming note again, and I know we're being redundant here, but we will be tomorrow doing our annual affair with the um, the sister station, ESPN. Alan Smothers, the bad boy of sports radio, Jason Priester will be with us. Phil Kornblut will be with us. Um, Thomas Hunter, historically, has been. I would imagine Thomas and I will talk today as a standing invitation to come. For as many years as he chooses um, to come, Bob Schuster, who helps Allen out on the uh, ESPN station, will be with us. And um, I think Kerry Tharp, we were told this morning, would be with us at about 9 o'clock. And it'll be just kind of a celebration of the rivalry. I said this morning, and I stand by this comment, something came up on my Twitter feed yesterday. The most hated rivalries in college football. Ohio State, Michigan were number one. I don't buy that. I mean, it's Alabama, Auburn. I mean, that's the most hated and vitriolic rivalry in college football. But Clemson, Carolina was number three. And I'm thinking about—I don't hate anybody. I mean, I don't want that word. I just—I understand it. I mean, I—it's not—it's more figurative than literal. I I get that. I mean, it's um, um—I mean, I've seen some things this morning and yesterday about it. Um, I just ain't into hate, man. You know what I mean? I'm intensely motivated to beat my rival. But but I, I'm not in the – I mean, I guess my running for office statewide kind of changed my uh, perspective. I don't know how many people gave me checks with tiger paws on top. How can I hate Clemson? You all know right, what I mean? When, right. when, when somebody gives me a check to help me get elected, it's got a big tiger paw on the top. What do I to Throw it in the trash? You know, I hate you. I don't want your money. No, I put that junk in the bank. It's like, <laughs> just like I did the ones with a chicken of the block C on top. But um, anyway, it's an intense rivalry. It's, I think, good for the state. Uh, the two fan bases get ginned up uh, every year. I-, I do believe this, Rev. Um, I think there's a little apprehension of both fan bases this year. I mean, I think Clemson believes they've got the better team, and I think most honest Gamecock fans believe that Clemson has the better team, but it's not by much. And it's in Williams-Bryce, and it's at night, and the Gamecocks probably have the better of the two quarterbacks. And Spencer Rattler, um, it's just it's 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 a little bit unknown there, and the game's always better. I mean, as a Gamecock fan, I've gone to that game many many years, knowing that we had to draw an inside straight. I don't think they got to draw an inside straight. I mean, they got to draw a better hand. They may have to win the turnover battle by one or two, but it's not a mismatch. And um, and historically, we have felt you know had to catch some breaks to. For things to go our way, I don't. I don't feel that way. I mean, I, once again, and, I, and I, I'm I'm not disparaging Clemson. I mean, I've given Clemson all the due I can, but they're you know they're not who they were five or six years ago. I mean, they just aren't. They don't have as good of players as they had five or six years ago. Now, uh, the Gamecocks don't have you know great players at every position, and I'm I'm trying to think of a way reason to be optimistic. Well, I mean, I think the reason to be optimistic is. You you've got a quarterback that can, if given the opportunity, light you up, and I think Spencer Rattler lit. I mean, he made some mistakes last year, a uh, pick six early in the game, uh, an interception in the Clemson end zone, uh, but he also made a couple of throws that very few quarterbacks in South Carolina have ever been able um, to make. So we'll sit down for four hours tomorrow. We'll debate, discuss, argue. It it, it may get a bit testy if somebody says something that that insults the other. The other fan base, but I want to encourage um, any listener we have to come by Rivals tomorrow between six and ten, and I will be set up at a table having a big time talking about uh, the one of the most intense rivalries in all of um in all of college football. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Joe
2: in Hartsville. Good morning, Joe. Yeah, guys, I just
10: wanted to call and, and tell everybody how thankful I am to live in the freest greatest nation in the world, where I have freedom of choice, freedom to make my own decisions. And I think that's the reason you see hundreds of thousands of people coming to the U.S., whether illegal or legal. You don't see them going to China, and the reason those CEOs love China is the control They've already stated that. They love the control that China has. And they kind of proved it when the pandemic hit, and they used their control to shut everything down. But I'm grateful that we still have freedom of choice here. Um, People need to wake up. And I think Jeff is kind of deflecting from the fact that uh, Biden just declared a, a war powers act. Uh, ramping up the production of electric stoves and, uh, heating for your homes. You know, putting in a, a executive order to do away with gas stoves and gas heating. Um, so he's, they're kind of devious in agreeing with you to keep you off of that subject. You know, they're they're taking stuff away from us as fast as they can. And the American people had better wake up and be thankful for what they've got. You know, love your neighbor. There's, there's no greater power in the world than love because it's just like light. It, it takes away from the darkness. The only reason you have darkness is the absence of light. So love your neighbor. Hold on to your family be thankful for what we've got and go game cop there you go now
0: you're talking <laughs> joe now you got me
10: there you go joe won me over at the end there <laughs>
0: right there. thank you joe Snuck appreciate it, it and happy thanksgiving everybody that has allowed us that have allowed us to be a part of your morning morning after morning after mo- you matter to us and i mean that sincerely uh people come up to me and i enjoy your show and i'm like i enjoy you more than you enjoy me what do you mean you can live without me i can't live without you i mean i got to have listeners and you know, we, we got to have a certain audience or we don't stay gainfully employed. And uh, I got too many bills not to be gainfully employed. Let's go to the vote. So thank you. And I mean that since I am thankful for each and every one of you, including Williams, including Jeff, including all those antagonistic liberals <laughs> out there who don't know their butt from third base. I'm still very <laughs> thankful to have you engage in what most times is civil discourse and debate and disagreement. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Good morning, Mike. You're on.
13: Yeah, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope everybody has a happy Thanksgiving and uh, plenty of turkey. But uh, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, if Rattlers gets hot, it could be a blowout. But uh, I, it amazes me how uh, Carolina just lay down. Uh, they'll be playing fine. Then they'll just lay down for a quarter or two. And I I don't understand that, but uh, if if Rattler gets hot, I think it could uh, Clemson could be destroyed. But um, they you don't uh, have to uh, say anything else. That, I mean, yeah, 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 that sounded yeah, good. You, you <laughs> have to
9: say, but anything. <laughs> uh,
13: but uh, I I was talking about uh, you were talking about energy. What's the most important thing? Well, if you got an uh, abscess tooth, the uh, Dennis is the most important man. Uh, in town. There's no doubt about that. But energy is the main thing. Having grown up in a house that had uh, the only heat was a fireplace, the wood stove. Let me tell you, uh, wintertime can be difficult. And that's uh, and uh, we thought it was a big thing to go to town. You smell that coal burning. Uh, rich people burn coal <laughs> instead of blackjack oak. And that's a and that's uh that's just the way it was. But uh without without the electricity and availability of uh propane and uh and natural gas, uh we'd be in a world of hurt and I I, I don't think uh a lot of people never experienced uh, extreme cold when you only got a, a wood burning stove to keep you warm and everything. But that's the that that is a tough road to go down. But I think this environmental thing is carbon neutral. This is all a scam. And I, uh, the other day I heard uh, where uh, a Nobel Prize winning physicist had called it out. He said it was just uh, sheer ignorance to think that we could uh, control the climate. And I but I think we could control the climate by just putting some. Uh, Sulfur compounds into the atmosphere and releasing them into the stratosphere, we could cool the Earth down. But I don't think that's a good thing. I think the Earth warm. A lot of lot more people die from cold than die from warmth.
0: Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. And and I'll say, you know, I just don't believe that. I mean, for the life of me, I don't believe. Do can we impact the planet's climate? Yeah, I mean, I think we can, and I think we're all called to be stewards. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I, we got to be careful about what we do and what we don't do and, and, you know, what we take for granted and what we don't take. But there's no way I buy that we can control the planet's climate. I, I just don't buy that for the life of me. You need to tell me. And, and then not only can we control it, we can decide its fate and future. I mean, we can start generating energy this way and change it or generating energy that way and change it. And we can be sure of ourselves that if we, if we do it this way, the planet's temperature will be X. If we do it that way, the temperature's planet will be Y. And I just believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that that is us trying to put ourselves on a par with God. I mean, I know it sounds elementary when I say this, but I stand by this. I believe there's a God in heaven. I believe he's entrusted a certain level of responsibility to human beings, but I don't think he trusts us but so much. (laughs) And I believe he has the warranty on the planet. And I think in due time, in his time, at his beck and call, the planet will cease to exist. And I don't buy for one second what Al Gore and John Kerry are selling. Because they're kind of sort of playing God in the weirdest way imaginable. Flying around the, the, you know, the country or the world saying you know, that I understand this kind of sort of like God does. And if we'll do these things, here's what the planet will be. If we'll do these other things, here's what the planet will be. And I don't know who God laughs at or scoffs at or pokes a, a fun at, but I got to believe John Kerry and Al Gore would be pretty close to the top of that list. Take a break. Back in a few. Well, good. <laughs> what are you doing there? Stretching, man. <laughs> felt good. Uh 661 like, is our number. Did you not hear the uh, introduction I there? Did, you're back on felt, the air. I'm in the middle of a stretch, and it felt really good. Let's go to the phone.
2: Hey, Breeze, you are on. Good morning. You know,
0: guys, I
11: had a break this morning and I fully intended to wait till Jeff called so I could call him an arrogant, obnoxious Yankee that comes out here and tells all of us Southerners through his pompousness about how stupid we are and how things were done so well up north. But that's only after they destroyed your cities, destroyed your states, and everything else. And I'm not going to do that in the spirit of Thanksgiving. I will say he actually sounded somewhat sane this morning, which in and of itself was amazing. But I will ask anyone this. Don't you find it odd when you mentioned all of the people that were in the room when the Chinese communist dictator showed up? All of these cathedral members, what did they do? They stood up and gave him a standing ovation. This is the guy was colluded with the federal, United States government to release COVID on us. This was not an accident. The Chinese government, with the help of our government, intentionally released a virus, which they made out to be far more deadly than it was, that basically changed the world possibly forever and hurt us irrevocably. And we will give this guy a standing ovation. That tells me that everybody in the room, was in favor of what he did by release of the virus. I take that Take and think about it. If you don't believe that that virus was released intentionally, maybe you got your head in the sand.
0: Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. And that's the point I try to make this morning, um, the contrast. And I'm not saying one's right or wrong. I mean, I know where I stand. You certainly have the right to stand where you choose to. But in 1959, when Khrushchev came to America, wanted to meet with Walt Disney, Disney said, I don't know. I just feel funny. I mean, I'm a patriotic American. I love my nation. I'm not sure that guy has my nation's best interests at heart. So I'm going to pass on meeting with uh, with Khrushchev. And, uh, you know, fast forward to 2023. Uh, they clean up a city, not for its citizens, but rather, you know, a foreign dictator, which is pretty much our geopolitical adversary and rival to be the preeminent superpower on the planet. They clean up the city once again. Not for its citizenry, but rather a um, a ruthless—I don't want to call him brutal. I don't know, but he's a ruthless dictator uh, and and heads up the Chinese Communist Party. But he's invited to a two thousand dollar a plate, and I saw where some of the bronze sponsors and silver sponsors and gold sponsors somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty grand per. Um, and when he shows up, when he walks in the room. Um, unanimously, four hundred people, business leaders in America, stand up and give him a uh, an ovation, a standing ovation, which is normally reserved for a hero or someone that we look up to and aspire to be, um, like I just thought that was unusual. Um, and I'm not sure that corporate America wants that getting out of the mainstream um because it's not I mean, if we indeed celebrate humanitarianism and the dignity and the liberty and life and pursuit of happiness that we say we do, I mean, isn't he totally opposite of that? I mean, the last thing that, that Xi Jinping believes in is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, he's a controlling dictator. And, and the 400 of our, you know, most prominent business leaders in America today say, I'm cool with that, as long as, the, um, as long as the bottom line looks like the bottom line does. And, you know, if you can work kids for, you know, 20 cent an hour, I don't have to work grown-ups for... $20 an hour sounds like a good deal for the bottom line. Forget the humanitarianism and the human dignity and the life. And it, it, it's, it's, it's money. And, you know, I've said before, I'll stick to my guns. Money's the answer. Um, now, what is the question? Do we have a call? No call. No. Hey, um, I, I stumbled on this yesterday, and I want to break the ice a little bit. We're getting all serious here. Um, who's the funniest comedian out there today? I mean, who, who floats your boat, Josh? Rev uh, Stephen Wright is for me, and somebody sent me something yesterday from um, Stephen Wright or from his website or one of these memes on Facebook. And some of these i never heard. I mean, that, you know, he's he's kind of the um, what sac- the sarcastic one-liner. <laughs> uh, yeah, I dry. Mean, yeah, very dry. So I want to read a couple of these. You ready? Ninety-nine percent of lawyers give the rest a bad name. <laughs> 82.7 of all statistics are made up on the spot.
1: <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's good.
0: Um, a clear conscious is usually the sign of a bad memory. <laughs> <laughs> all those who believe in psychokinesis raise my hand. <laughs> <laughs> um, the early bird may get the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. <laughs> good. Uh, yeah, uh, okay, so what's the speed of dark? how do you tell when you're out of invisible ink Mm. (laughs) depression is merely anger without enthusiasm when everything is coming your way you're in the wrong lane (laughs) (laughs) ambition is a poor excuse for not having enough sense to be lazy uh eagles may soar but wiggles don't get sucked into jet engines Uh, what happens if you get scared to death twice? <laughs> 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 what do you come up with this? <laughs> oh. What happens if you get scared to death twice? Um, uh, my mechanic told me I couldn't repair your brakes, So I made your horn louder. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, let me see here. Uh, the hardness of butter is proportional to the softness of the bread. <laughs> To steal ideas from one person is plagiarism. To steal from many is research. <laughs> He's kind of right there, right? I, I mean, there's there's genius in this. Um, everyone has a photographic photographic memory. Some just don't have the film. Uh, and lastly, you ready? If you if at first you don't succeed, skydiving is probably not for you. <laughs> so there's some of the genius of um yeah. of Stephen Wright breaking the ice on a um on a Tuesday morning takes Mondays. To make Tuesdays, in this case, programming note, uh, once again, we'll be at Rivals, the store divided tomorrow with a um, k- kind of a, I would say an all-star cast, but none of us are all-stars, with a cast. With About a cast. That. We'll have a with, cast with people. Of, um, of people who have high opinions of their own opinion, and we'll gather and kind of kick the tires on the Clemson-Carolina uh, football game, the rivalry. Um, I do believe what I said earlier, the apprehension in both fan bases – I mean, I don't know that – I mean, I can't speak for Clemson, but I know the Gamecock fan base has kind of concluded, we don't really know what to expect from week to week. I mean, they seem to be getting a little bit better. The offensive line finally got some players back, and they – I mean, they're not great by any stretch. They couldn't block Big Zero from Kentucky. I can tell you that much. But, but, I mean, a a preview to tomorrow's show, if Spencer Rattler can figure out a way to have time to throw the football – it'll be a highly competitive game. If the Clemson defensive front, which I think is really good, can outman or outmatch the Carolina offensive line, it could be a really big day for Clemson. I mean, it's not that simple. And you always say these things from the outside, and then you get to the game and nobody saw, you know, a punt return for a touchdown or a fake punt. for. I mean, some of those crazy things that happen that always seem to invariably decide the game breaks one way or breaks another way. But as a Gamecock fan, going into the game on paper, you don't play the game on paper, but on paper, that's the the big concern I have. Can the Clemson defensive front overwhelm the Gamecock offensive line to the point of Rattler running for his life? Because nobody, I love it when they say, well, let me spin so Rattler can't throw on the run. No no quarterback likes to be running while he's throwing it. You like your feet under you and throwing out of the pocket. I, I love it when, I mean, I've heard this before, you know, um, well, this this quarterback doesn't like getting hit. Well, I mean, Brett Favre doesn't like getting hit. No quarterback <laughs> likes getting hit. But but it's again, uh, you know, well, I mean, if you get him, you know, you put pressure on him, man, and he's not the same quarterback. No quarterback is. No quarterback in human history is the same quarterback. If you get pressure on him, but if you give Spencer some time, I mean, he's as good as there. He's as good as we've ever had. I don't know how good is in comparison to some of the other great quarterbacks in college football. But if you give Rattler time to set and throw he's a really 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 good thrower of the football i'm just not convinced that the gamecock offensive line can give him the time he will need to try and execute a game plan let's go to the phone Boudreaux in orangeburg listening to wtqs good
2: morning Boudreaux. you're on
12: uh good morning uh pardon my voice i'm a little under the weather been uh a little sick last couple of days, but uh, you kind of got in my wheelhouse talking about comedians there, and, and I love Stephen Wright as one-liners. I'm more of a raconteur, and uh, storytelling comedian, but I wanted to add a, a sort of a one-liner because people ask me all the time uh, how, how you come up with original content, you know, for your show, you know. And I, well, I'm 54 years old, you know, and that's a good age for original content to see. See, I'm still young enough to remember stuff I heard. But I'm old enough to forget where I heard it, so it kind of works that way. That's sort of how <laughs> you get original content at my age, so. so there's that. Thank you,
0: Boudreaux. Appreciate that. Happy Thanksgiving. Yep. Good to hear from you. Uh, excuse me. I hope, you, hope, you, us, feel hope better. you feel better. Yeah, no question about it. Um, I mean, we can go down this road. We, we played this hypothetical exercise earlier about if we built a perfect economy and everybody, exactly, everybody got exactly out of that economy what they deserve, and, you know, deserves in the eye of the beholder, Um, everybody thinks they deserve a little more. They probably are entitled to, um, to that. But what is the greatest one-liner ever? I mean, obviously Mm. there's not a greatest one-liner ever. Josh would have an opinion. Rev would have an, I'd have an opinion. A lot of others would have an opinion. What is the, I mean, comedian or not. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is Yogi Bear. Ain't over till it's over. Uh, but, but there's a million one-liners uh, what is the great, what is your favorite? There you go. That's a better way to ask the question. What is your favorite one-liner? I mean, it's unfair to say the greatest one-liner ever. Uh, what is your favorite one-liner? I've got one.
2: Okay. Um,
1: I was watching a debate between a Christian and an atheist, and they had a Q&A section. And all throughout the debate, the atheist was saying, uh, belief is idiocy. Belief is for the stupid. And then a guy came up and he goes, you kept saying that. Uh, do you believe that? And the guy goes, yes. And then he walked away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's great. Do you believe that? Yeah, because belief is idiotic and and stupidity personified. Um, you've heard the story. I think you guys have probably heard this story that someone in a psychology class at one of these elite universities um, gave as a topic for one of their theses. Um, you know, you got a subject. And the subject was um, – because and that was it no the subject was why i just, just oh, yeah. yeah you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. the the thesis had to be about the one word why and somebody turned into paper because and they got an a plus and you know rave reviews and uh greatest one-liners or excuse me your favorite one-liner um ever i mean i i mine would be it is what it is uh, you know my dad said that my granddad said that it is so simple but so true i mean it is what it is i don't like where we are but it is what it is man i really love where we are but it is what it is um there's so they're, there's so much sophistication in that very simple it is uh, what it is 8436610937 do want to mention uh, josh before we take our break that tomorrow I mean, if you'll—and I'm begging you to attend—if you'll come visit us at Rivals, of store divided between six and ten, we'll have some donuts, yep. Krispy Kreme donuts. From we'll Krispy have, Kreme have on some West coffee. That's right uh, on the house, and we'll also have—if I'm not mistaken—they'll have some coupons. I know they did last year. That if you visit, they'll give you a coupon. You don't have to use it on the spot. I think you can come back later in that day and uh, and use it again. And um, that, that'll end the week for us, Wednesday and Friday. We won't be on the air. We'll be back Monday. And I think we've got four weeks until we get to um, to the Christmas holidays. But, yeah, come, come join us tomorrow morning from Rivals, ah, Rivals of Store Divided, somewhere between 6 and 10, donuts. I would say donuts and coffee on me, but they're not. <laughs> donuts and coffee, courtesy of our good friends at, uh, at Krispy Kreme. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. is our number. There's something I've learned. I mean, I learn something every day, and I try to pay attention to some of these um, callers that call in and suggest certain things. The one thing that I've learned yesterday when we were talking about Rosalind Carter passing away and we talked about Jimmy Carter being 99, he's in hospice. Rosalind Carter was 96. They were married for 77 years. I think the majority of people left right or center believe they were good and decent people. Um, the majority of people who see the world as I do don't believe he was that good a president, but we're not debating his presidency. The one thing that I don't think I've ever completely understood is Carter gets selected in 76. I mean, he's been the easy target. He's a good dude. He won't fight back. I mean, you can say Jimmy Carter sucked and he'll keep, keeping, he'll keep building houses and teaching Sunday school. You know, you tell Trump he sucks, he'll, he'll come back at you, but be careful. you see where I'm headed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was easy to talk, call Carter a failures president because he wouldn't I mean, he wouldn't engage. I mean, he's building homes, making the world a better place. Who cares about that anymore? Um, and I think you would agree, Rev, he probably did commit himself to try and make the world a better place. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that I don't think I ever chronologically understood, or, or I mean, I understood it, but I don't think I ever gave it any consideration. If Nixon took us off the gold standard in 73 and we talk about Carter malaise and the interest rates and whatnot, was that Carter's fault or Nixon's fault? I mean, the inflation that Carter had to deal with and the Volcker rule of trying to address inflation, I mean, I thought it was just an incompetent presidency. But but three years prior to him getting elected, a Republican president took us off the gold standard. And don't we agree that the gold standard created fiat currency? And if you believe in Milton Friedman's theory, the only inflation creator is government.
2: And was that our first go of just creating money out of nothing?
0: Well, I mean, I, I mean, during um, I mean, during wars, we deficit spend. Yeah. I mean, we borrow money, but I don't know that we. I mean, there there had to be. That's a good question. During the wars, did we waive the gold standard? Were there exemptions? that we didn't have to have that tangible and hard asset to back up the amount of money we printed. Uh, I don't have any idea, but, but I do think that's a debate. I mean, that, that's something you need to consider. So, so Carter gets elected in 76. Three years after Nixon, quote, unquote, took us off the gold standard, was inflation inevitable? Hmm. And I just think there's a, there's a study there that needs to be done. It's easy for Republicans to say, yeah, Carter was a decent man, but he sucked as president because interest rates were 18 and 19 and 20 percent, and you know Volcker had to do all these crazy things to get it under control once he, you know, he and um, Reagan got got in the White House. But but is that fair? I guess is what I'm asking. Has there any has there been any scholarly work done uh, in regards to did Carter inherit? something that was going to happen, whether he was the president or not. Is it unfair to be critical of Carter uh, and inflation when he's not the guy? I mean, Carter didn't, now he didn't say, hey, none of that. We're going to re-implement the gold standard. You know, we're, we're going to have to have enough gold to back up the amount of currency we print. And, um, but out of that came fiat currency. And, I mean, in, in 2007, um, here's another interesting argument. Does Barack Obama deserve more credit? Then we give him because he inherited a world of quantitative easing, right? I mean, didn't in 07, isn't that the first time we quantitative eased? Was was Obama president in 07? I don't think he was. Might have been a Republican. Oh. Mm. Getting close to home now. So in, in <laughs> 73. I'm trying to figure out where
2: where you're going with all this a uh, couple of days before Thanksgiving.
0: Well, I mean, I'm just <laughs> um, no, I'm just saying yesterday when I left here, I'm thinking about the yeah. show and you know, made a good point here and didn't make a no, good point there. It. And this, we explained this fairly well to explain. Uh, we do that every show, or I do. I mean, I'm driving home going, oh, we could have done better at that. We did okay here. And I uh, really liked his call. I wish he hadn't called. I uh, wish we'd taken a break here, not there. I wish we'd played this song, not, not that song. But, but it's been easy for my generation to say, thank God for Ronald Reagan. But that Jimmy Carter was a good man, but he had no business in that White House. What if the gold standard had still been in place? What would the Carter presidency have been like? What would inflation have been like? Volcker would have never had to raise interest rates to 18, 19, 20, 21% to try and curtail inflation. Now, there, there's a big academic debate about Volcker, the Volcker rule. Did he do more to, you know, I mean, should he have gone to that extreme or not? But there's a great economic scholarly debate about that. But I'm just saying, I mean, if, if you really think about it, Carter dealt with something that, you know, he was the first American president to deal with a, an executive branch that didn't have to correlate our liquidity with uh, the goal we had. And then once again, I think that's a fair conversation to have. It's kind of interesting that in 07, Republican was in office and we quantitative eased. In 73, a Republican was in office and we took ourselves off the gold standard. And the Republicans have historically professed to be more fiscally disciplined uh, than the Democrats, and it's just hard to argue that. I mean, it really and truly is. Um, I'm not saying one's more fiscally responsible. I think that both have been unbelievably fiscally irresponsible. And since '73, since the gold standard and inflation became rampant and kind of a um, a commonality in our political world, I just think that's something. And I mean, I may spend a little time over the holidays kind of digging into that and see if Carter was dealt a bad hand or, or was he just lousy at the job? Could be both. I mean, he could have been dealt a bad hand and lousy at the job. Um, but, but I know he gets a lot of blame for Volker having to do what he had to do to get inflation under control. And was it all his fault? If Nixon was the one that indeed took us off, off the gold standard, um, Eight four I don't know. I'm giving the number. Nobody's calling with a, well, we've got a minute to go Another in the show. Minutes, yeah. A couple of minutes here to go in the show. Um, it's been a lot of fun. I want to thank, and I think Rev will ag- ag- agree with me here. Um, I'm thinking today about, you know, what I'm most thankful for. And right now at this moment, it's you, our listeners. And, um, you know, we've we built a friendship. Uh, some of the friendships are closer than some of the other, other friendships. But I truly, sincerely um, thank you. For allowing us to be a part of your morning, however long and however many days you choose to do that, and I think Rev, old hand at radio, will like will you know old agree with
2: that. <laughs> oh, there's no doubt about it, and and also the fact that earlier this morning a lot of our callers called in and said the same thing. They wanted to thank us, and also they wanted to you know say Happy Thanksgiving to other listeners. I consider what we do here a bit of a community or a family. And so that just reinforces it when I hear the the back and forth and we certainly have our disagreements with some uh and yeah, that's good. You know, disagreements and conflict makes you know interesting radio maybe. Uh but the fact that at the end of the day I think we're all thankful for each other and we're thankful for the ability to have disagreements on a public forum like this, I think it just makes all of us better.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it and I am thankful. Um I am incredibly thankful that, um, that I live in a country that allows me to sit behind a microphone and just espouse my views as I see fit, I think you should be thankful that during every segment, before and after every break, I give a phone number that allows you to call in and express your beliefs and worldviews and opinions of the, uh, the issues of the day, the issues of the week, the issues of the month. We'll spend um, all four hours tomorrow arguing intensely <laughs> about the football rivalry that kind of sort of consumes a certain part of the state every, uh, every November. Uh, my house divided, a family divided, a state uh, divided. It's a lot of fun. I ain't into hate. I mean, this ain't hate to me. This is intense competition, and it's a lot of fun. We'll talk tomorrow.